I've heard chiefs say that when they're handing out the bugle for a company office or whatever it is, is like they're, they're handing one of the bugles off of their bugles and giving it to them. That's, you know, it's part of the responsibility or part. And, and if you don't have trust, if you haven't built trust between uh, you and, and those above you, you're not going to get anywhere. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap number 131. This one took a while to make happen. I'm not going to lie. We've been talking about it almost for a year. Is that true? Oh, I think it's been longer than a year, but yeah. <laughs> it is. Rob Fisher, suburban firefighter from the Pacific Northwest, a student of the job for 34 years strong, currently a battalion chief, and did 20 years as a company officer. He's been involved in technical rescue, peer support, training, you name it. He instructs with Brothers in Battle, CF Tactics, the Roof Pervs, the Highwaymen. Uh, he is active on social media and is one of the reasons that there is a positive vibe in social media. And I mean that as a big compliment. Um, his most recent endeavor being Young Officers on Fire. He is very active member of the Fools, both locally and internationally. And lastly, and most importantly, he is a family man and proud of it. Chief Rob Fisher, it is my pleasure to have you as a guest on Weekly Scrap number 131. Oh, Corley, thank you. I am I am honored to be amongst uh, some of the greats. Um, it's uh, it is it is funny how it's took it's taken us this long to get to this point, but uh, it's good that we finally got it uh, off the ground. We were, I mean, we were talking about trying to do it live while we were at uh, yes. Water on the Fire last year and yes. seeing if we can pull that off. But uh, I'm excited to be here. So I'm not, let's make this happen. A lot of people ask me that. I'm just not technically. If you get me out of my little office here, I'm not technically savvy enough to make it happen. <laughs> That's my problem. So, um, but no, hundred uh, percent trying to make it happen. Uh, anything I missed in the uh, like boiling down everything you've been involved in was was extremely tough to get a succinct introduction, man. I'm telling you, it was like I'm just touching high points. Yeah, so, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, trying to be somebody bigger than I am. Um, but we did the I uh, did podcast with um, Jeff Bryant and the guys from Fire Nuggets, and and we got done like in the first half an hour. He said we just went over his intro, right. <laughs> no. And this is the crazy part for me is literally I'm everybody I talk to, when I say, they say, hey, who's coming up next on the scrap? I'm like Rob Fisher. Like, oh, I got a Rob Fisher. Mo Davis was in town just teaching a class and I and I got to run down to the hotel and meet him at the hotel bar for like 30 minutes. Just say hi, give him a hug, that kind of thing. And he's like, oh, dude, you got to bring up the time when Kurt asked us to do a class the next day and we stayed up all night. He goes, I didn't do anything. He said, basically, Rob built the entire class, and then we taught it the next day. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Mo is Mo is incredible, and uh, I'm I wish I would have met Mo years ago. Yes. I just I just recently met Mo. Um, probably it's maybe it's been max two years, but um, I had heard of him. Of course, I had seen his video when he was taken on the city and and all the, you know, the BS that was going on in, in his department. But, um, yeah, so that story is we were at, um, John Norman was supposed to be doing the ODP and, and, uh, and Todd Edwards came up to us. Todd was kind of coordinating all the classes and said, Hey, um, and, and John didn't show up, couldn't show up because of COVID. And, uh, so everybody was kind of like piecing together and lecturing for John Norman. And so Todd Edwards comes to me and says, Hey, would you mind doing, a lecture on truck operations out of Norman's book. And I'm like, 
Are you kidding me? Are you serious? <laughs> I am nowhere near the level that John Norman is. And um, and so uh, I, I ended up talking to Mo, and Mo's like, yeah, we can do this. We can do this, man. We, we'll be all over this. And uh, we we stayed up, and we were probably up until 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, building a PowerPoint for the next morning. And we uh, we drank a little bit of whiskey, and we right had a great on. time, and... And uh, I think the class was good. Mo had a good time. I had a great time. And I think the students got a lot out of it. So it was quite the honor to teach with Mo and, and to step in and, and kind of teach out of the Norman book. And you guys both, your guys' stories both intersect and then and cross and who they, who they give credit to. Both of you guys, the exact same story, just who, who gets the credit depends on who's telling it, man. That's amazing. Um, oh. If you have questions... For Chief Rob Fisher, if you have questions and it comes up during, man, post them in the chat. We will get to them. Kyle Romagus is in the house. He is looking for your questions. He is going to post them right here. So we are going to get to them. Um, if you find value in the scrap, go to firehousevigilance.com and support it. We got stuff work in the works for those who do support it. But I, my whole goal, and I tell people this every scrap now, is I never want to sit here and read you guys commercials. So this is my commercial that I'm reading you that I said I'd never do, which is go support it. <laughs> So bottom line is we're ready to get into some topics before we do. I'm going to catch you up because I've got Kyle Thon saying, yeah, Rob with five B's. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to like ribbit that all hell reps. Oh yeah. Steve Robertson said, looking good fellas. So that's obviously aimed towards you. Um, legend. One of the nicest guys you'll meet from clay McGee. Rob Fisher is the man from Joey Hayes dude. Hey buddy McGee watching. That's from McGee Graham. Dude, so many people right here. Robbie is a big mentor of mine. I'm not going to read it, everybody. Reverend Bob Fisher. Let's go. The legend is in the house. Rob Fisher is one of my favorite humans on earth. That does come from Kyle Romagus and Smoothbore Cartel. <laughs> uh, pretty sure there is not a more genuine human being than Rob Fisher. That comes from Adam Neff. Okay. Like I said, I can't read them all, dude. It's just It keeps going on in that vein for like the next 20 minutes. So um well, jay bonifield has the first question coming at you are you ready for it well hang on no jay's gonna have to hold on okay okay, okay. um well first of all i, w- I was like i just heard romagus is your your pr- your producer or he is a, he, he is the he is the volunteer the guy that makes sure i quit missing co- basically we sat down one day and he said dude you're missing too many questions coming at you and i'm like well here's the problem i have trouble focusing on the guest focusing on the audience and get and he's like well i'll do it and so far he's been in every one since then and, yeah. and so yeah well, I, I give like Romagus. I'm I'm his production guy for his his podcast with with uh, Nisbet and and Bonifield, and I'm like he's doing it for you. I'm like, how does that work out? But um, yeah, there's I I wanted to say I appreciate all the the awesome comments um, by everybody, and and I think it will tie to a lot of the conversation we'll have about um, uh, networking. And so I've I've been very fortunate over the years. So I've got. You know, I guess I could say I got a lot of people on my side, and um, and then the other thing, Kyle, it looks like Thon, but it's but it's Tone, and so that's for Kyle. I know Tone. Yeah, it's it doesn't look the. He's probably told me that like ten times. Okay, so you're <laughs> you're probably number eleven, and I will still say Thon the next time I read it because I really I don't I don't process. I just read, and sometimes it's it's to my detriment. Yeah, I got you. I got you. All right, so let's let's hear what what Bonifield has. Well, he he followed up and said, "Don't silence me, Rob." <laughs> okay, so he said, uh, "I don't even know if it's a serious question." Like I said, Rob, everyone oh. here at Station One wants to know if you color your mustache gray to look like you have more wisdom. Also, <laughs> at zero says, "Get to the chopper." 
<laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, no, I don't color my mustache. It is, it is natural. I don't color any hair on my body. So uh, I don't want to say that this is wisdom. This is just getting older. And, um, yeah, Bonnefield's at station, station one, which is, uh, there's, it's an urban city in, in our County. And it's a, it's a good house, uh, busy house to be at. And, uh, at Cerro is, he used to be one of our, our um, part-time firefighters and worked on the ladder truck with us many, many years ago. And, uh, Nick is a captain with that department, Beautiful. a good captain. And, uh, so it's, a, there's a lot of stories. I mean, but yeah, get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. Okay. And I want this last comment I'll read and I'll get to the questions, which is Kyle Tone said, ha ha ha. Thanks chief. So I wanted to get it right this one time. It'd probably be the last time, but okay. <laughs> all right. Pulling them up. Here we go. The fools. I, that's the first one on your list. And it's the first one I wanted to start with. So talk to me about what it means to you and how much you're involved in it. Um, I probably would not be the firefighter I am today if it wasn't for the fools and and it's really easy to say that, but um, the connections, the networking, the the values, um, the the passion. So, if it wasn't for uh, getting into this group, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today. And uh, I think some of my problems that I have, uh, challenges, I should say, I should say maybe some of my challenges is is, is a result of being the fools and and. Um, and I'm okay in my career and my life right now to say, I don't really give a shit. So, um, uh, I, I love being a part of the fools. So if, if, if individuals have problems with the fools, um, and have problems, think that I'm, you know, the, I'm, I'm, well, you know what it is, what it is. So, um, yeah, the fools, how this all came about was, um, uh, after nine 11, uh, I was attending a class in California and, um, a, really salty sack city sacramento city uh truck captain from uh truck seven kevin trost we were on a roof getting ready to do some roof operations um uh, bob pressler was there and we were going to be doing cirque saw operations on a basically a flat roof built in about the 50s so this is pretty cool okay and he says how many of you are fools and, and my driver and maybe we'll talk about Chad a little bit, but my driver and I look at each other and like, what the hell is he talking about? And he says, I tell you what, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get done with all this work and we're in the bar and we're, you know, we're in the pub and, and having some drinks. And, and he explained what the fools were. And it was basically an organization of people who are passionate about the job, passionate about tradition in the fire service and just, uh, you know, remembering our fallen brothers and sisters and, and, and are into the job. And that was like, Holy cow. I had just found my brother, Yes, my brothers, you know, this was, this, this spoke to me. Um, cause I, it'll be in from a smaller department. Um, at the time we were, we didn't have any outlet for this. We, you know, we're from the West coast. So we, you know, the idea of, of being in the firehouse and, and all the brotherhood and sisterhood that goes on in the firehouse just wasn't really happening in our neck of the woods. And so this just like really spoke to us. And so long story short, and you know, I mean, unless you have any questions or you want to get further into it, but basically we had a chapter start in our area. It's called the Puget Sound Fools, um, quickly became an e-board member on the, on the local chapter. Okay. Yes. Yeah, nice. Focus maybe. Yeah, there, there it is right there. Perfect. And, um, 
we, um, yeah, so we, we had this chapter and got on the e-board in the local chapter. And then I think it was about 2012, 2013, the, the international e-board asked if I was interested in, in coming in and filling in, uh, filling the shoes of Mike Dugan as the education or the training trustee. And I'm like, Holy cow. So, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. How do you fill Mike? Well, literally and figuratively, how do you fill Mike, Mike Dugan's shoes? Right. But, uh, yeah, that's how I came onto the e-board. And then just recently, um, I've stepped down from the education position. Actually, we changed roles and I, I, I accepted a position as the West coast regional rep. So I've got 40 chapters in my region, Washington. Yeah. So I'm going to, we're, we're having some communication issues in the international. It's, it's, it's pretty big. And, uh, so we're trying to create regions so that we can communicate better. So that's where I went. And so you're really just a core. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to say really just, but coordinating all of those. Have you noticed it? Man, I, all I know of the fools, I'm not a big in the international or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm Johnny come lately to the fools, to be honest. And so all I know is my local chapter, mid America fools, OKC Metro. And I love them. Uh, yeah. but, is it just does it come down to the passion that's in the individual membership and the individual leadership or what what's your experience with that well I, I yeah I think it comes down to a lot of the passion of each individual uh, chapter and that's I mean we have chapters that are just superstar chapters and I'll just use our you know our chapter as an example when when it first started we were upwards of like 250 members in our chapter and now we're a smaller chapter about 50 members. We were very active um, back in the 2000s, uh, early 2000s. Um, and, you know, there's chapters out there that fold every once in a while. And, and so, you know, it has a lot to do with, with passion and, and just, you know, keeping, keeping the ball moving forward. Um, the one thing that I love about the Fools is that most everybody, when you're going to, and you, you go to a lot of conferences, yes. Corley, so you know this, but you meet guys and gals and a lot of them are fools members. And so the, the best instructors were in what I was starting to experience where they were fool members. And that's why I wanted to be a part of it. And it just put me into the right fold of the right people. And, and, you know, I, I really do owe a lot of, of this and, you know, my social media success and all this other stuff to the fools. And I got a question coming from the audience, which I want to hit on since we're talking fools. And he said, how do you apply to start a local chapter? And so just a quick dart if you want to throw that. Oh, yeah. You can just uh, email secretary at foolsinternational.com and let them know that you're interested in starting a chapter. And there's uh, some basic things that need to happen. You got to have an e-board or create an e-board. Um, but, but, yeah, it's not hard to start a chapter and it doesn't cost much at all. So secretary at foolsinternational.com. Love it. All right, first question coming at you from the audience. Christopher Armager wants to know, and this is coming from Kyle Romagas. He, he, col- he cultivated this question out of there. He said, how do I hire people who give a shit, service-oriented people, everyone who's testing is worried if we have a Kelly or how much PPL they get. Their number one concern is time off before they even put their first day in. Next is pay, third is T-shirts or polos, then maybe they are into what the job actually is. How do I hire people who want to work at work? So there's no softballs. So here we go. Yeah, that's that's definitely not a softball. If you can answer that one, we'll just send you to the Middle East, and you can you can work for peace. Yeah, that's a that's a really tough one. I I think 
um, being in the Pacific Northwest and on the, on the West coast in general, you know, a lot of the testing that goes on for firefighters is, um, it's, it's challenging. And, and I think you could see that there would be an argument over, are we correctly testing for the right individuals coming in into the fire service? Um, uh, so we're, we're doing a lot of hiring in my department right now. And, uh, we've had changing in how we've done testing over the years, um, I would say, generally speaking, we've done really good in, in hiring the, in the right individuals uh, for the positions. Um, where, we're, where we're lacking, and I can speak only from my department, but where we're lacking is we should be recruiting from um, colleges. And, and I know that kind of some are going to be going, what? Rolling their eyes, right? No. Yeah, they're rolling their eyes. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that we're looking for the brainiacs from college. And I don't think you necessarily need to go to college. But why we, what we want is we want to get the athletes from college. Because there's a lot of athletes that go to college that get some bullshit degree just because, you know, they, uh, the female plays softball or she likes plays basketball or the guy is into wrestling or football, sure. whatever it is. All they want to do is play sports. And I tell you what, you know, the American Fire Service is a big sport, and it's it's a team event. And it's a phenomenal was, team sport, man. Absolutely, and and if we could just harness that from the colleges, um, I you know I don't care if they've got a degree in communication or if they decided to get a degree in kinesiology. Um, I think education is important. I've got my education, and and uh, you know, and I, I know that a lot of the fire service wants to see more people that have trades backgrounds. And I see the benefit of that. And, and I think when you bring somebody in from the trades, um, while they might be challenged in some of the education side of things, you know, cause the fire service isn't the same as it was back in the sixties. And, and I don't mean that because of the, the people that are here, I mean, it is what they're requiring from us yes. and, and the service that they, and the customer service. And, you know, you can't tell a customer cause you're tired of them. Like, uh, you know what, we ain't coming back. It, it it's not going to go very well for you. Right. Right. And, um, so uh, the trades are good and we need more people in the trade. So I would say that the, the way we got to hire is we got to get into the colleges, into the military, pick up the military people coming, you know, coming back, coming out of the military. Um, we should be recruiting people that are of all ages. Um, you know, it seems like somebody that's in their, in their forties doesn't think that it's the jobs for them because they've outgrown that. And I, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. So, uh, that's a tough one, man. No, that's a beautiful answer too, but I really like the focus on the team sport uh, aspect of college too, man. Cause I, I think that's an untapped resource for most departments that don't focus in that area. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The other thing I would love to see is there's a lot of big departments that uh, they, uh, I think that it would be great to see big city departments doing lateral hires. And uh, not that I want to be the, the JV and that is that is a feeder team for the big, big urban cities. But um, I think uh, the big city departments are missing out on talent. If they just said, Hey, we're going to do laterals and, and um, they could bring in some, and there'd be guys that are really talented that would love the opportunity to work in a big city. No, no, absolutely. I, I like it. The problem is always, of course, is who's getting hired beside you know what I'm saying? The people that are already in, in place. It's not coming in. It's the, the ones already in place. Yeah. That seem to be the obstacle. Um, okay. I don't want to miss anything here, but Kyle's got a long one. So I got a long one to throw at you. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. This one's coming from Jeremy Stalker. He said, good evening, gentlemen. <laughs> I wanted to bring up a topic of conversation 
if you want to discuss it. I have talked with this with Rob a little bit in the past, but about leadership posts in social media. I recently made a post to my Facebook page about do the leadership memes actually make a difference? Everyone made their post about their thoughts, etc. Over the years, like I said, it's long. Over the yep. years, I have become friends with or follow a lot of leadership pages. I have been noticing a lot lately that a lot of the leadership posts that I have seen lately in my perspective seem to be in a negative light. What I mean by this is that they post a leadership post, but it focuses on what to do when things are bad. It almost seems like involuntary conditioning. Now, there have been very positive posts out there, but some seem to focus on the negative, but provide no solutions to how to make leadership better. So my question for you is, well, here's the question. If we are going to use social media, how do we make it better? Well, first of all, I appreciate uh, Jeremy's uh, long question. And, and Jeremy is uh, he's an assistant chief. He, literally, where I'm at right now, he's not far away from me. Okay. So I don't know why he just didn't come over and, and uh, pop in and ask the question himself. But um, Jeremy was, uh, we'd done a large hire back in 2008 and he was one of the firefighters and he promoted quickly up to lieutenant in our department and then left our department to go be an assistant chief and, uh, the organization he was with before, uh, Jeremy and I just had lunch not long ago and we've talked all about leadership and, and I do know the post that he's talking about. So, um, yeah, I do a lot of posting. I'll, I'll just speak for myself real quickly. I do a lot of posting of, of issues in leadership. And, and I think, I think the perspective is, is that we do talk about leadership from the negative side of things more than we talk about from the positive side of things. It's, it's, uh, it's easier to, to point those things out. And, and I think where Jeremy's issue is, is that, um, it, it seems like everybody, one of the things, like I I'll post a picture of, of something and there's a, there's a meme to it, or, sure. you know, there's a, and, and that is just becoming the way that we're communicating our problems or the way that we're communicating a position. And, and Jeremy, when we've talked about this was like, it's gotta be more than that. It's not just some meme, you know, it's got, it's gotta be deeper than that. And I, I absolutely agree. And I think what it does for me, one, it helps me deal with things and, and it, and it opens up dialogue. And, and I think when we're looking at social media, the good of social media is it opens up dialogue uh, to a larger group and you can get some in it. You can get a lot out of it, right? The bad of it is it opens up dialogue and there's, there's a lot of well, shit that gets thrown <laughs> yeah. around in there. And so it, it can get caught up in all the mire and, and you don't get any of the benefits out of it. But uh, so social media, I, I like social media. I also hate social media at times. And, um, but, um, I, I think, you know, the benefit of, of making those posts is that it, hopefully you have a group of people that are following you, Jeremy, uh, I'm one of them. And that when you post something like that, it's not like, Hey, I'm going to post a meme to your meme is that I should, it should open up some type right. of dialogue, dialogue and some communication. So no, that's beautiful, man. Open up the question. And I will say this, cause I try to post daily. I really try to put some new content out daily. And sometimes it's an old content that's put out again, but the, I will say just as a content creator or whatever you want to call it, you, you notice that, holy crap, when I, when I complain about bad leadership, I get a lot more interaction from people. You know, yeah. that resonates a lot more on social media for whatever. And so the the temptation is there to grab that low hanging fruit and lose sight of your mission, you know, and just become the complaining, the, the complaining post. And so I would really say just try to focus on your mission, whatever your mission may be for your social media site, meme, et cetera, whatever. So absolutely. Dude, I love and, it. and Corley, you, you just posted a TikTok, which I'm 
um, we were we were chatting about I don't know last month. I, like I didn't know you know how to do that. But the one that you just posted recently that's on on your page about uh, opportunity and being in the right place and being yes. prepared for the opportunity. I mean, that's a perfect leadership um, example of just you know motivating people to 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 recognize those things. It's not bad that you know it's it's all about motivation absolutely versus you know like one of the ones that I just recently posted about um, you know about taking the loyal person and, and, and you're going to quiet them and, and you're going to find that they're no longer going to be loyal. Well, that's the spark some discussion and, right. and a lot of things that are going on in the fire service, especially in my area. And, and um, some people post things and some people don't or respond to it. And uh, so, yeah, I, but I completely agree with you. And no, and it comes down to mission. It really does come down to mission because some people's mission is to point out the negative. And I'm not even saying that in a, in a bad way, but they are pointing out and highlighting. And some people's mission is to elevate certain aspects of fellowship or team or and then some people's mission is strictly tactics. And, and I mean, whatever your mission is, just don't lose sight of that. No matter how many thumbs up, likes, et cetera, it gets, man, because that's the temptation. All right. Are you ready for another long one? You're, already, yeah. you're getting so many. I'm not. But yeah, here we go. Tommy Dixon. I'd like to talk about the day-to-day activities and how disciplining comes into play. For clarification, I'm just asking how you handle discipline within your department as a chief. What are things you let go versus things you feel need to be addressed. I'm asking because we currently have a chief that is seemingly punishing everyone for all kinds of little things, but not focused on the real goal of providing a top-notch service. Guys can be incompetent, but you can't question the status quo. What's your advice for overcoming that? Hey, there's no, like I said, man, they're just, they're just, they're just bringing the heat today. Like Rob Fisher's here. Throw the hard ones. <laughs> Yeah, these are all like split finger fastballs and yes. and you know, someone throw us. Hey, Kyle, pull up lighter. a softball. Like we need a, <laughs> a pancake. Uh, so, can you, I guess is this question to me as the as a as a chief officer, or if I was a company officer and I'm dealing with a chief officer that that's coming I think, down hard. I think on you're them. middle. I think you're you're not quite the top, but you're dealing with you, you know you're dealing with yours, and then you got above you yeah. know, that seems to be obsessed with uh, things that, according to this guy, don't matter. So. Yeah. Well, I will say from my, from my experience and, um, is that there is, there is a lot of times that you're going to disagree with uh, how things are being done in the organization. And it is a very challenging thing. And I'm telling you from experience, I have bucked the system and I have, I have done wrong things when it comes to handling it. Um, but if, if I was a company officer and my battalion chief is like really tightening the screws on things that, one, uh, make it so that it is individual. So you and the battalion chief and communicate with the individual directly with them and find out what the, what the reasoning is, you know, get to the why of, um, is it a uniform issue, uh, which some organizations are very structured with their uniforms and others are not, um, is it a uniform issue and where does it come from? Is it, uh, you know, we have to clean the apparatus. We have to wash the apparatus every morning at seven o'clock and you're like, why am I washing it at seven o'clock in the morning when we didn't even take it out the you know, right. previous day? So, so I would say open up the dialogue with the with your your supervisor, be it at it might be above battalion chief or it is your battalion chief, and have a one on one conversation and make sure it is just with them. Try not to be negative about it. Try not to be the one that is um, um, that it you know is is is. Per- 
propelling the, right. the problem, you know, within the Adding company to the cycle of, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to add to it. And, and, and it's, you're going to have, I mean, this will get to the 10 pounds of pressure 100% of the time. Love it. If you come at it really hard, you're going to find that you're going to, you're going to have more challenges for you. So, um, I would say from the BC perspective, um, it's difficult. Uh, I think battalion chief is way more difficult than what people think it is. And, um, I wish we were going to do the five old questions. Cause I was going to tell you my favorite position has been uh, battalion chief, but believe me, I, I, don't, I don't mind. I'll run the old, if I can... <laughs> but from the battalion chief perspective, I would say, um, I'm, I'm going to give some, some boundaries for the crews, for the company officers, but I'm going to let the company officers run their companies the way they are. And, um, I think it's important that they have they have their own um, cultures there, and we're, you know there's going to be some hot ticket items and, and there's that I cannot change as as a battalion chief, and that we have to enforce them. And then I'm going to say, hey, this is the reason why, and and try to explain it to them the best best that I can. But I, but outside of that, I'm not going to be putting some heat on them for small little shit because you know, I want them I want the ham, them to to have their culture within their stations within well, their companies. Love that. There's the answer. Beautiful answer. Uh, I was trying to see which one of these is the, I, I thought there was a Quint question coming, but McGee Graham said, ask mine. It's a soft toss. He said, question as a formal structural firefighter, now a wildland firefighter, is there a fool's or equivalent in regards to wildland firefighting? Ooh, great question. I, I'm not, yeah. I am not sure that there is, but I'll tell you right now, there could very well be, um, there is about the fools. You you have to either be in the in in the fire organization and uh, volunteer or paid. It doesn't really matter. Um, so a, a chapter that is a wildland or a hotshot team. I if I know who this is, um, this is Graham uh, McGee, and I and uh, his dad was uh, was a battalion chief in the area here, and his brother. And so, but if it's Graham, I, I know he's a wildland firefighter and a hotshot guy. Right? Yeah. Let's start it up, dude. Be the first one to have a uh, make it happen. Uh, make it happen, Captain. I love it. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, there's, there's a roof perv in here. He said it's William Knight, and he said uh, Robbie is really old. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the question. No, uh, ask him. My how- answer is my answer is <laughs> William's really ugly. <laughs> there you go. Um, ask him how he plans to make a healthy transition to retirement mentally and occupationally, meaning what sort of mindset changes have to happen to walk away from the job without losing a sense of self and purpose. And I'm asking this one selfishly because I'm, I'm, I'm at 25 years. I don't know how much more I'm going at. So it, I'm asking it selfishly. What's your mindset towards that? Oh, dude, I could talk for an hour on this and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to distill it down. Um, I just, I do, um, I do a hump day hangout with uh, Dan DeGrice, who's a retired battalion chief from Chicago fire. And it's called straight talk. And we've had, uh, two shows, um, one of them with Mike, Mike Galliano on there talking about retirement. And the reason why I did that show is because I'm getting to that age. I'm in the twilight of my career mm-hmm. and I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to retire and I'm not nervous to retire because I'm nervous to leave the fire service. I love it so much. Um, it's been everything that I've done since I'm 18 years of age. Absolutely. And, um, uh, I just, I don't know. And so my mindset is I'm, I'm struggling with it. Uh, what's kind of helping is my, my career is kind of going in a path that I'm just not having as much fun as I used to have. And, um, 
um, struggling in um, some issues at work personally. And so it, retirement is sounding better and better. And you know what helped is uh, building a house in Vegas and my granddaughters and kids in Vegas. My wife's living in Vegas now. Oh, those priorities, every time baby. I'm in Vegas, every time I'm in Vegas, I'm like, oh, do I really need to go back home? Right. right. Um, but yeah, there's, there is, there is a struggle, um, just for everybody in, in the American fire service of leaving the fire service, there is actually a fairly high incident rate or a suicide incident rate of retirees because they lose purpose. And, um, so what I would do is I'd love to, uh, retire here. And, and, uh, if anybody from the Vegas area is listening, I'd love to be a PIO for any of the departments in Vegas and just go to fires and report to the media and do news releases and, and help get information out. But I will, I'm, I'm still going to be in the fools. Uh, I'm still going to be teaching to some degree and still be affiliated. So I think my purpose will be there. I just know physically I can't do the job as, as long. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm planning on it. I, and it's coming sooner than, than, than I had originally had planned. So. Right on, right on. Do you think, and I'm, this is me asking, do you think the, the position change affected that? Company officer to battalion chief? I don't know how long you've been doing the battalion chief, so. Uh, I've been a battalion chief for five years okay. now. Um, no, it wasn't the posi- the position change, and, and I love being a battalion chief. Okay. It's just, uh, uh, you know, the organization's changing, the region's changing, um, leadership changes. Society. Um, society changes. Um, but I, you know, the thing, the thing that where I'm at right now is I love helping people. I love being at work when I'm at work. Um, but I just don't love doing my job all the time. So it's, it's, it's a challenge that you're, you're that we're all facing. And, and, uh, I've talked to, in fact, I ran into Mike Galliano. He was in Vegas this last week doing a benefit, um, a benefit gig, uh, for a, a Clark County firefighter that had cancer. Um, mm. and if you haven't had, uh, Clark Lamping on your show, you might want to reach out to him. He's a great guy, Clark Lamping, just like camping, but with an L. Um, okay. and Clark put together, he's with the, uh, Terry Farrell fund. He put together this thing. So I went and saw Mike and we were chatting about some troubles, some, some struggles I'm having. And, and, uh, he just, he put it just as Mike Galliano does. And, and, uh, he goes, you'll know it's time to retire. It, you just one day you're just going to wake up and go, yep, it's time. It's time to go. So, wow. Okay. There you go. Um, Kevin McCart. All right. Good Come buddy. Back. We haven't even got, we, I've asked one of the questions that we sent on the topics discussed so far, just so you know where we're at. Uh, Kevin McCart said, and I haven't even got to like Matt Galliano saying your praises earlier. I'm going to read some, I'm going to scroll through here. I'm trying to see, uh, Thank you so much for your perspective. That came from Tommy Dixon answering the question. Yes, sir, that is me. Thank you, Chief. That came from McGee Graham. Dude, a lot, a lot of dude. I can't even, I can't even catch up. Uh, Kevin McCart wants to know: explain some of the differences and advantages and disadvantages to the Quint concept versus TDAs, and how your organization handled this. This, uh, yeah, this is so. Is <laughs> it deep? This is this is deep. This is deep. Yeah. So. Um, we haven't really talked yet about one of the things that, that I had taught for many years or had, had written on written articles and, and had lectured at FDIC. And, and I will say lightly, I had consulted and helped other departments and is on quints. And, um, 
when I first came into this whole Quint thing um, back in the days, I didn't like the idea of a Quint, but I do see the definitely the benefits. The Quint is basically the suburban ladder company is what it is. And that's um, a really beautiful definition. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you look at in all my research, probably it's anywhere between 75, 80% of all the ladder trucks that are being manufactured these days are Quints. And so, which kind of, kind of, when you look at it, is it's the majority of the suburban fire service and, and the, the urban, more traditional fire departments, your FDNYs and so on and so forth. Um, they are in the, the true truck, you know, and, and um, you just don't see the true truck so much anymore. So the, the total Quint concept was made popular by St. Louis uh, back in the 80s. And ironically, uh, St. Louis has stepped away from the total Quint concept and, and uh, they have Quint still. They just don't have all Quints. That's expensive having a, an especially a department the size of St. Louis right. and the amount of work that those guys see to have all quints. I mean, you're going to spend more money. It's more stuff to break. The problem with the quint is it's not a good, it's not a good truck. It's not a good engine. And, and in my class, I up here in Washington, we have these things called houseboats and a houseboat is a house that is floating on the water. It's beautiful. It's not, does it's not a boat. It looks like a house just floating on the water. Well, it's not a good house and it's not a good boat. Right. So basically quints are, are, are houseboats. Um, so to have a truck of that size and weight and you lose compartmentation, you lose ground ladder storage and so on and so forth. Um, the total quint concept, and it's just expensive to, to keep those rigs on the road. Um, it's not, it's not surprising to see that it's, that it's, they're slowly starting to disappear. I think, uh, Richmond, Virginia had a total quint concept period and they've gone, they've gone away from it. Fort Worth, Texas, I believe they were doing it. I could be wrong. Um, but you just, you have a hard time finding departments that are, are in that. So, right. um, the TDA. So what we did was we had a quint, it was a rear mounted quint, uh, overweight of course. And, uh, we did the best that we could to, uh, create compartmentation and, and carrying of ground ladders. And, and, uh, we made the transition to a TDA, uh, back in 2016 and, uh, the department at that time, uh, we were a different department than we are today, and our staffing, uh, or I should say, our station configurations were different, and and um, so we got some changes that are going to be occurring this next year that are going to have going to have an impact on our on our TDA uh, that we have at 72s, where I worked for many many years. But what we did is we ended up uh, going away from the 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 quint, and and with the TDA, we ended up getting a stored. Um, stored calf system. And we actually got it from, um, our brothers in, in winter park in Florida. Okay. And, uh, the concept worked really well. Uh, basically it's just imagine a huge fire extinguisher, the stored calf system. So it just, it's just a tank of water with a little bit of foam and you use compressed air and it could handle a car fire. It could handle a room fire, those types of things. So what we did is when we when we put the truck into service, we didn't uh, allow for interior operations with a hand line with that. So we didn't want our crews to go inside with a with a compressed air foam line. Okay. Um, they hook, they took care of you know rubbish fires and car fires. Uh, they you know they could do a transitional attack or an exterior attack in a bedroom window if they wanted to, but but generally speaking, they were a true truck. So, um, but yeah, that might all be changing here. Uh, in the future for the department. So I, I don't know where we're going to end up going. Right on, right on. 
And I, I will know. say this. Okay. I will uh, real quickly. I will say if 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 I was, I mean, I if I was going to do a quint, I would do it as a TDA because you can have good weight distribution on the apparatus, um, and you can still carry a good complement of ground ladders. I think uh, our TDA carries uh, 254 feet of ground ladders. I've heard other TA, TDAs carrying you know over 300 feet of ground ladders. Oh, wow. And if you you know if you put the the tank and the pump on the tractor, then it doesn't have any impact on your compartmentation and, and your ground ladders and and you can still meet the NFPA of 300 gallons and 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 a good pump on it. So nice. And I, I had a lot of people say that they've learned more about quints taking your class than uh, they knew from writing the quints. So it's it's a great uh, thing to. And like you said, man, it's the truck of suburbia. I believe at it least, is at least for my career, you know. And we'll see where it goes in the next ten to fifteen. Uh, Jeffrey Bryant Jr. got a question for you. Man, they got a ton of questions coming at you. We're just cycling through. With formal mentorship, is it best to do peer-to-peer or superior-to-peer? Oh, peer-to-peer, I would say. Uh, you know, the, the superior-to-peer, um, there could be benefits there. And I'm, and I'm assuming he's talking about, like, from uh, chief officer down to a company officer. Um, there is There is definitely something to be learned there. But I think when we're doing peer-to-peer, you're probably more open to um, – uh, banter back and forth discourse conversation than you would if, if I was a company officer and a battalion chief is telling me, you know, mentoring to me and I disagree with something they, they say, then your relationship as in a professional relationship comes into play. Right. Um, but I will, but I will say that if it's not at work and if it's, you know, you're reaching out to somebody on the outside, then I think they give you great perspective. So a lot of my mentors that I have, um, Mo Davis, Clyde Gordon, um, Kurt Isaacson, uh, Mike Galliano. I mean, they're at all levels uh, all around me, uh, yes. Scott Thompson. And, um, so that works out, but I think if it, if it's in the organization, the superior down to the subordinate is, it is a form of mentoring, but it's just not the same type of mentoring that I would be looking for. Right on. And, and also, man, the mentee really does get to pick their mentor. Like you can, you can try and make it happen top down, but unless they pick it, it's not the same. Yeah. It's mentoring is, it is mentee focused. And I know, I think Mike uh, was talking that he doesn't like using the word mentee. I think he uses the word learner when we've talked before, but, um, but it is mentee focused. And, and uh, in 2010 or 11, uh, I did a a program at our department away from work. We, we made it so that it wasn't work. It, it wasn't work related and it wasn't supported by the union or anything. So we wanted to do this off so that we had all control over it. And the idea was we took a lot of motivated firefighter, a handful of motivated firefighters, and we, we created a mentoring program. And we actually did a presentation at uh, fire um, at FRI one year okay. on, you know, our findings of it. But w- the one thing that we found is, is that when you try to develop the relationship that way, it's very challenging. So it is, it is, it is, mentoring is, is mentee focused right. and that you should be all of us. I mean, if there's anything I'd tell you about mentoring is we all that are in the American fire service or in any of the fire service, we should be seeking those that are at all levels all around us that we can um, gain perspective and, and gain experience from, because we're not going to get a lot of experience uh, from the line. Um, you know, in, in regards to fighting fire, 
And there's a lot of problems that we're dealing with um, challenges in diversity and dealing with all that stuff that we can gain more perspective from people that are, are outside of our organizations. So very nice. Very nice. All right. Next one. Uh, Michael Dozier is asking. So you got a scenario coming at you here. The scenario is this. You're the CEO. You have some time in that position. So you're the CEO. You are receiving a new member to your crew that has a that was a problem in his last assignment. How much of a fresh start does he get? Also, how do you handle your current crew and their response to receiving a perceived problem as a new crew member? Yeah, that's I appreciate the question. That's a great question. Um, yes, they get a they get a they get a clean slate. Um, they have to get a clean slate because imagine starting it off and and uh, and if I was being one hundred percent honest, I'm like I already know a lot about you. I've already you know shown my cards, and they now think that they don't have an opportunity here. Right. I think everybody's everybody deserves you know two three chances, sometimes more, uh, because it. I I mean I don't I wouldn't. It all depends on the reason why they are considered the the problem child from this other assignment. But but yeah, I'm going to give them a clean slate, and I'm going to have a conversation with my crew because um, the first question they're going to ask is why the hell is is he or she coming here? Right. And um and and oftentimes good company officers. One of the bad things about being a good motivated company officer is you're going to take the challenges. Oh yeah. And, um, and that is what leadership is about is, is about, yeah, it's, it's about helping people find their way and, and, and getting the most out of these individuals. And, um, you know, could this shithead be a shithead? Absolutely. And, and, and if you are the, the company officer that is the motivated one and, the, you know, and very talented and have years in service, this could be the last, this could be the last stop for this individual. And, uh, so yeah, I, I'm going to give them a clean slate. I'm going to be very clear of the expectations. Uh, I'm not going to change anything in the company to you know to 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 fit the individual. They're going to have to fit into the organ. They're going to have to fit into our culture and into the company. And I'm going to have to have a conversation with the crew because I got to have the crew on my side. I can't I can't be battling the crew and and then fighting with this 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 individual that needs help. Beautiful man, beautiful. And there you go, man. Uh I'm trying to catch up. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Michael Dozier closing that one out. Make sure I don't close that. Rob, this is from Don Huffman. He said, your organization recently underwent a few mergers, two of which with departments with strong cultures. How did you guys effectively blend those without losing the heart and history of those smaller groups? What is the culture like now? Uh, well, thanks, Don. Again, Don is working in the city that's in our county, and uh, he could have come over and asked the question himself, but I appreciate it. I really like the fact he asked it publicly <laughs> so that it's, everybody benefits. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've known Don for, for quite some time. Uh, so, yeah, we've we've merged. Um, my The original department I was with, uh, Snohomish County Fighter 6-7, had a very strong culture. Um, I would say we, I'm, I'm not – boasting or anything, but I think we were a very good department for our size in the amount of call volume we had. We were very training focused. So we had a really good culture. Um, we had good medics. Um, so the EMS culture wasn't terrible. Um, fire culture was great. Nice. Uh, we merged with a smaller department to our East and they had a strong culture as well. 
And, um, unfortunately I think for them, and if I was being 100% honest, and I know the guys that I've had this conversation with that were from that organization, um, it was more like a hostile takeover. Okay. You know, we basically came in and this was the culture that they were going to adopt and it was going to be our way or our culture. There was and the bad with that is there was a lot of things that they were doing really well that we just had to push aside and just move on. And uh, I get the reason why you, you, you know, you got to try what we want to do is we want to try to take the boat, the, the best of both and bring them together. Um, so that merger did pretty well. I, I mean, I, I I think there was questions over why we were doing certain things, but generally speaking, the culture was blending very well. And then this recent merger that we did, um, another strong culture department, um, their leadership came over this time. And so uh, the the change of leadership is really, it's going to be the change of uh, the, the adoption of a new culture. And right. so we've had a little bit of change of the culture. It's been a blend. Um, there is, there is still, you know, I, we, we tried to get away from the legacy seven, the legacy Monroe and, but, um, generally speaking, it's, it's been a blend of cultures, but I'll tell you right now, it is hard. And, uh, and, and for those that have been around for a long time, um, it is, it is really challenging because you, you know, it, it's, it's harder to change to something that you've been doing a certain way for 20 plus years, and then this is the new culture. It really is difficult. And the new guys that are coming in are going to new guys and gals are not going to know any different, right? right? This is their new department. And, uh, and what we have to try to do, and I'm challenged with this myself. I'll be, if I'm being 100% honest is trying not to be a negative and trying not to say, you know, in the old days and those types of things and trying to support the position that we're right. in. And it, it's freaking difficult. And, uh, so, I, I mean, I don't really have, you know, where, where Don's coming from and where he's at now. Um, he's he's seen a, a definite change from his old organization and in, in his new organization. And um, and his new organization, um, there's a possibility, because we're all in the same county, there's a possibility that um, that is a department that's been around for a long time. Like I said, they were an urban, they are an urban city department, been around since uh, 18, if I remember correctly, 1889. Oh, wow. And, uh, and they have a very strong culture. And now all of these smaller organizations that have been around them and that have grown in literally in the last 20 to 25 years to larger departments, um, it's going to be a blend of new and old and traditional and the new wave. And that is going to be a very big challenge. So, Without a doubt, man. Just hopefully that- I answered your question, Don. And give me a call and let's grab coffee or beer and let's let's talk serious. Get the skinny. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Okay. Now I want to get to it because we've we've literally done one of the uh, we've touched on a lot. Don't get me wrong of that you yeah. sent because we already talked about Quince, which was later. But ten pounds of pressure, man. I use this so many times. <laughs> I got a picture that goes up of you, and I'm like, here's here's the man. If you want to make change in your organization, here's the man who gave you the formula. So talk to me about ten pounds of pressure, hundred percent of the time. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, I don't own this. And so I want to get that out first. And every time that this has come up, I always tell people, um, I first heard this from a guy by the name of Andy Spire and, and, uh, Andy is, was working in the neighboring department. He was a, a New York city fireman that, uh, came, came West. Um, God, Andy worked everywhere. Uh, those in, in my County that know Andy Spire, 
uh, know him well. He is a pit bull. He is he is tenacious, uh, little Jewish guy. Um, yeah, and 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 he he would just attack things with this just incredible. But he he would say, Rob, what you got to do is just ten pounds of pressure one hundred percent of the time. Because if you do it any other way, if you do a hundred pounds of pressure ten percent of the time, it's like punching somebody in the face, and you ain't gonna get anything if you punch him in the face. And uh, I learned it from him first, and and I tried to apply it throughout my career. And I, you know, I get a lot of credit for it, but it's not me. It's actually Andy that is the first person I heard it from. But when you look at it, it really does make a lot of sense. And when we talk about dealing with problems, or we talk is is like you don't want to overpower somebody into a position. That's that's like taking a wild animal and backing them into a corner, right? They're going to have to attack and now you're not going to get anything done. But if, if what you're saying and what you believe and, and what you're trying to present, whatever it is, and you back it up with facts and you, and you take the time to explain, this is that 10 pounds of pressure and you, and it takes time. Change takes time. So I'm going to give you a story, a real quick story. I'm going to try to make it quick. Go ahead. Um, there's, no, we, there's no time. There's no time I, frame. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go as long as Mike Galliano. I just like, oh man, I'm hoping we can do this in an hour and a half. All right, we'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, so for a long time, I you know, with this whole Quint idea, I I thought that the best thing for our our new ladder truck in the future would be uh, a TDA, a TDA Quint. And again, for everything I said earlier about distribution of weight, being able to carry ground ladders, and so on and so forth. And I was teaching a class. Um, um, in California. And, and I had the opportunity to jump up into the Tillerman's cab and, and drive a, a tiller truck without any experience and without any training. And they said, Oh, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the guy that jumped on with me, the Tillerman, he was hanging on the side of the rig, his name, and I'm not shitting you. It was Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, you got to turn it the opposite way. When we go into the corner, yeah, I got it, man. And I'd never done it before. And, Long story short, um, as we were going into this U-turn, I, I cranked too far and we hit a tree and we caused a lot of damage. Oh. And uh, yeah, I, I I felt terrible. And so now here here I come back to my department and I crashed somebody else's TDA. And, um, and I'm going to say 10 pounds of pressure 100% of the time. I had an uphill battle to try to present the information, the facts, the, the reasons why, and just because I crashed a truck, well, if anything, that's a, that's a bad example of a program of, you know, who do you let into the, the tiller mm-hmm. cab and, right and why, and all those things. And so, and yeah, we got a TDA, even though I had crashed somebody else's. So, um, 10 pounds of pressure, 100% of the time. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. All <laughs> right. Pulling up the notes here. So many things to talk about, man. Um, the slow house rules. What you got? Well, I just, the reason why I put that on there is, is that when I look at everybody that I'm affiliated with, and this, this will tie back to brothers in battle. The okay. last um, time we were, we were all on the road um, chatting and, and uh, Cody, I think we were actually, I think we were in Bryant's uh, neighborhood. I think we were in Chicago area in Aurora, Illinois and, and we were driving and Cody basically got tired of, of us. Um, we were, we were just, you know, we were playing down our department or playing down, you know, how big of an organization, what impact we have. And right. Cody said, I'm, I am really tired of you guys doing it almost like a big Papa bear. 
And he goes, you guys are some of the great, greatest firemen in the American fire service. And it doesn't matter where you come from. So, um, so I'm trying to change that, you know, and I come in, I, I try not to play down my, I work for a medium sized department that doesn't see a lot of fire. I, you know, I, I, I try to stay away from that, steer away from it. And the more I started to just kind of play inventory on who, who I'm affiliated with and who I teach with, I'm amazed the number of small department guys and gals that I teach with, they're exceptional firefighters, exceptional. And, um, I mean, we'll use Brian Olson, Brian Olson. Some people think that he fell off the face of the earth. Um, incredible. I mean, an awesome fireman and, um, great instructor, um, great person. Well, he, he's, he's just stepped away from instructing because he's got two young kids that he, he wants to be a part of their lives as, as they're yeah. growing up and he doesn't want to miss any of that time. And, and nobody can fault him for that. hundred percent. And yeah, absolutely. So, so when I think of like Brian Olson, he works in a e- Eagle fire in Idaho is, I don't know, a three station department, uh, neighboring departments are, are small and they've got talented people. There's other people that work in, in Eagle, um, um, uh, Steven Tyler and a, b- a bunch of these guys. So there's all of this talent that is in the suburban fire department or even smaller. Um, so to me is I've thought I've got, a, you know, I've got a handful of friends that, that work for big cities and uh, that, that I teach with. And I've thought, man, would I, if I was a LA city firefighter, would I still be doing what I'm doing? And I think that I would be today, but I know very few LA city firemen that, that teach like we do, you know, that are out teaching all the time. Um, I know, you know, New York city guys and and such, but when you look at it and you look at the size of some of these departments, New York, Chicago, uh, Metro Dade, um, LA city, you know, uh, Houston, it's a very small group of individuals from these enormous departments that are out sharing what they have a lot of experience to share with and and but when you're looking at the American Fire Service, I think that the majority of them are, and, and maybe it's it's a it's it's a reflection of you know being eighty percent, eighty five, maybe ninety percent of the American Fire Service is is suburban. Mm-hmm. But the amount of small yes. small department instructors that are out there that are they're change makers in this organization. I'll use you as an example. I don't know the size of your organization, but I know it's not huge. No, it's four stations, sixty thousand population. Perfect square miles. Yeah. I'm suburbia. Perfect. You're, and you are a huge change maker in the American fire service, you know, um, if I guess you, my guess might be, but thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what you're doing and everything that you're doing, I mean, it's like, this is, this is by an individual that works in a small department and, um, and it's just like trying to draw out the best of the American fire service. And that is awesome. And it's not just you. I mean, no, there's a number of them. Look at Kurt Isaacson, where he works. In, and he works in a department that's super busy, too. But, you know, he he's he's two battalions covering like 600 square miles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's it's all of this talent that's out there. And I and and I just want to say um, I'm proud to be a suburban firefighter. Uh, yeah, I wanted to be an urban firefighter my entire life. When I grew up in Seattle, I was going to be a Seattle firefighter. And, and, you know, parts of me wish that I had the opportunity to to give that a shot, but I think, uh, this could be, be it that you're faith based or not, but it was God's plan 
or things happen for a reason. And I think I'm where I'm at doing the things that I'm doing for a reason. And I'm, I'm damn proud of it. So Thousand, and you should be man. And you, and you, and, and a huge impact. Beautiful. Love it. Um, there we got slow house rules. You talked about suburban versus urban mentors, mentors, suburban versus urban mentors. Do you want to touch on it? Cause you kind of, it's it kind of a segue right there. Yeah. I, you know, I guess of when I'm looking at, um, mentors it seems like a lot of the suburban suburban mentors are more available than than the than the big city ones and and i don't know what that is and i wish that i i wish that i could you know this is the part that i you know i wish that i was an la city battalion chief because i would be all over this shit you know i would i would love to just be able to share as much as i possibly can um i hope that i'm a, a humble person that I'm viewed as a humble person and that no matter where I'm going, where I'm teaching, who I'm with volunteer explorer post, I don't care anybody that's willing to listen to me that I'm, that I'm, you know, sharing information. Um, but it, it's just really odd that majority of my mentors are, are in suburban. Well, I'm like probably 95% of them are suburban um, officers and firefighters and all over the place. Um, Mike Dugan is, is one of my mentors and, you know, he comes from a big department and um, I got guys like uh, uh, Mike Galliano is also right. a mentor and he Absolutely. comes from, he comes from a big department or a bigger department. It's not the FDNY, but uh, it's a big department in our region. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's really it. I was just trying to tie together the fact that, uh, you know, when you're looking at, when you're looking for mentors, I want to keep them somewhat, um, connected to what the life that I'm in, the life you live. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and so like me comparing my life to, to Mike Dugan is, is really difficult, you know, and, and maybe we'll talk about it later, but I do believe there's sometimes you just got to stay in your lane. And, and, uh, I've never been an OVM and I will never be an OVM in the way that FDNY uses it. So right. I have really no experience in it. Um, I could gain some experience from Dugan on that, but, uh, but really, I'm, because I'm not going to be doing that. I mean, I don't necessarily need that experience. I can get other things from Dugan. So, but yeah, that was, that was it. I was just wanting to tie those two together. No, no, absolutely, man. It's beautiful. All right. <clears throat> Pulling it up. Got My buddy just texted me and says that he, he was pretty happy that you're drinking Modelo's there. So. If anybody knows how, how to make Modelo sponsor the scrap, let me know. <laughs> crank out another one here. There we go. All right. Um, West Coast Roof Operations. I wanted to get to it. Oh, man. I, I thought we were going to put that at the end so that those that are tired of listening to me, you know, the controversial topic was going to be at the way in. Anytime you say controversy, I mean, again, it goes back to our yeah. social media thing. Yeah, I, I know this is putting a big smile on uh, on Knight's on Nate's face, but, um, you know, one of the organizations I belong to or group that I belong to is called the roof pervs. Right on. And, uh, I didn't start it. Um, a couple other guys started it, but basically it's a group of us. We started sharing photos, construction photos. And, um, and that kind of led to this, um, this creating of this group of individuals. And, um, most of us work on ladder trucks. Um, but, but anyways, so it created the organization. We've we've been in a we've been challenged, I will say, in, in our beliefs and and um I I look at it as that again, if we go back to staying in your lane, is 
um, the controversy of, of roof operations, um, you just, just, I mean, we could do it right now. Just post something about roof operations. And it's like, it's like chumming for a fish. Oh, yeah. it, there'll be there. all over it. Right. It's a frenzy. It is a frenzy. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the issue is, and, and, and hopefully this is where social media really does struggle, but hopefully that we mature as we starting to blend in and starting to get used to social media is that, there's times that you have the experience to post on things and there's times that you don't have the experience to post on things. And, and I'm not saying I'm, I know everything about vertical ventilation from the um, West coast perspective, but I have studied it a lot and I've, I've, I've done 20 plus years of training on it and, Absolutely. and, and worked it. But when we blend West coast and East coast approaches to things, it's not just like, you can't just start off at roof operations and just say, okay, do you do them or you not do them? You have, there's so much that goes into it. It's the experience of the organization, the training, the types of people, the resource loads, and then the types of buildings that then blends us, or I should say that then breaks us off into the argument over, well, we should not be on trust roofs and we should not be on um, modern construction because they are just, they're built to, to kill firefighters. And, and I think that's furthest from the point. And I will tell you in all honesty, I am more comfortable on an engineered roof, what some people call lightweight. I'm more comfortable on an engineered roof than I am working on something that would be like an FDNY. That's a 150 year old building with conventional construction. And yes, I understand that conventional construction can burn for long periods of time, but I also know that because the lightweight or the engineered constructed building it's going to, it's going to start falling apart or dilapidating quicker. I know where my, my line, my line in the sand is, and I can, I can judge it easier. I have to give up more space, but it's the environment that you're used to being in. So I will just say some of the tirades that I've had on social media and, and, and trying to share this with others is that when we look at the American fire service, and there is probably no department that, that is on roofs and cuts roof as much as LAFD. The LAFD probably cuts a roof every single day. I would, I would bet. And, um, when I did, I did a, uh, it was called the Sunday sermon for a fool's chapter in, in, um, Texas, uh, Lone Star fools. Um, I did, I did the Sunday sermon on, on roof operations. And one of the things that I got into is because the question always comes up, not everybody in the American fire service does roof operations. So the fatalities, the injuries as a result of roof operations, maybe that has an impact on it. And so what I did is, you know, do your research, get all your numbers together. What I did is I started to, to dig at, well, what departments actually do regular roof operations. And when you start looking at those departments and you start adding up their call volume, and I looked at the 2020 firehouse call volumes, you know, you know this is anecdotal because it's not true, real good data, not, it's dirty data, basically. Sure, sure. But when you're looking at like one third to almost half the amount of fires fought in America or in organizations doing roof operations then I'm having a hard time believing that the other part of the American fire service that doesn't do them that, you know, that they don't have any impact on it. And, and like, when was the last time an LAFD firefighter was killed uh, doing roof operations? Um, you can go back to 2017 when uh, I think it's, if I remember his name correctly, it was last name was Wong. He fell from an aerial device and was, was killed. 
but that wasn't roof operations. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I love Bill Carey and all of his posts. And I've been on a lot of his posts, but this came out like in August of this last year, somebody posted that we've gone 10 years without a vertical ventilation or, or a firefighter having a line of duty death as a result of walking a roof to do any type of roof operations, 10 years. And, and we get so caught up on, we have, we have individuals that will post when we show vertical ventilation on a lightweight or an engineered roof, like that's killing firefighters every year. And I'm like, bullshit, show me the data. And even Bill Carey and some of the posts that I've done and he's jumped on, he's like, excuse me, I'm, I'm not seeing it in the data. We actually kill more firefighters. It seems like, uh, off the scene. So away from the fire ground scene, than we do on the fire ground scene. And, and what we've seen in the last few years is more firefighters die with a hose in their hand right. than, than doing vertical ventilation. So do firefighters get injured doing vertical ventilation? Absolutely. But then again, our job is, our job is dangerous. And, and if you, if you, you know, the way that we deal with risk is we deal with risk through training and, and having good training. And this kind of goes back to staying in your lane. If you don't have the training in this, then why not try to gain gain perspective rather than be the one that comes out and just starts saying that you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, I, I I get it. I mean, like FDNY doesn't do vertical ventilation on residential single family dwellings, right? They don't see any need for it. You know, that's all right. That's okay. But then I don't think that they should be the ones that are, are trying to be the experts in, in, in how we should be doing things. And I will say uh, a number of us that from the roof pervs, we had the opportunity at FD and, at um, FDIC one year to sit down with Danny Sheridan, battalion chief, busy in a busy battalion, battalion chief from the FDNY. And he was really wanting to understand a little bit more of this. And it was, it was a great conversation we had with Danny. And um, he just says, we, we work in different, in different environments. We work in, in different departments and that's okay. So that's kind of like, that's kind of my beef about the, West coast roof operations, but, uh, it's very successful and it, it's not for everybody. It's not for everything, but if you are going to do it, you want to make sure that you have the right training for it. And, uh, I would say that every commercial building, um, eat, no matter what the fire is, unless it's, you already know that the roof has collapsed. I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a company on the roof, even if it's venting through some portion of the roof, I want perspective because you can tell the integrity of the building by knowing what the integrity of the roof is. And, and when you're sitting in your command post or you're out in front of the building as a BC, you know, you and I are out there, the best vantage point that we know what the extent of fire is and how bad it is in the building is from those that are on the roof. Yes. And um, they're going to give you a good perspective. So when we look at like blue card and the roof report, I love it. I think it's awesome. It's, the, it's one of the best things we get. Awesome, man. There you go. Instead of you <laughs> straight into it. I want to ask you about uh, young officers on fire. I want to get to that before I, by, before I, I wanted, I don't want to dive off too deep into building construction because I want to hit the social media and young officers on fire, where that came from and, and how it's doing. Yeah, it's doing great. I appreciate and this is, it. And I want to say this is I didn't like, I follow it and I love it. I did not even know it was you. That's how much <laughs> the humility plays into it. Does that make sense? Like it's just, about, uh, yeah, it it's just about, I, I tried it and not about the name. So. Well, I'm trying to hide behind other um, aliases so right. that I, you know, prevents me from getting in trouble for speaking my mind. So, um, yeah. Uh, so how this all went down, uh, I, 
I, like I said, I, back in 2010 and 11, we did a mentoring thing. I've, I've been, um, enthralled in like followership and leadership and mentoring and all these things. And so I've spent a lot of my time in my profession. And then my master's degree that I'm working on is, is in organizational leadership and, and basically in mentoring and those types of things. So I'm, I'm really interested in all this stuff. Absolutely. In 2018, I, I had known this individual. His name's Ryan Selleck, and he is a captain in in the Tri Cities, which is in Eastern Washington, um, in Washington here. And um, he and I had um, were lecturing at uh, FireX Talk in 2018, um, which is basically like a TED Talk but for fire. Right um, if you haven't checked those out, you know you can type in FireX Talk, and they're all over YouTube. Um, so we had been friends on social media and shared stuff and, and we met in person in 2018 at a fire X talk when we were doing it. And that led to us communicating more. Well, Ryan was the one that actually put together, um, uh, young officers on fire. And then, you know, he, I, of course I, it, it intrigued me. And I, so I joined the group and, and I was intrigued in what was going on and, and I, I'm not trying to boast anyway, but but Ryan's like, hey, dude, you joining is really going to help the the page because <laughs> right. people are going to follow. I said, no, nah, I don't know about that. But I do want to be a part of this and be a part of the conversation that's going on. So that led to um, that led to, uh, you know, building the or building the the uh, the page up um, there inside the page. There is actually a closed group of of our mentoring group. And so there's about uh, I think there's. 30 or 40 of us in the mentoring group. There's some principal officers, myself, a buddy of mine, that's a battalion chief up in Alaska. Uh, Ryan is a principal officer as a captain. Uh, another buddy that is a deputy chief in a, in an urban department. And we basically use it as a mentoring group. Uh, we just had a meeting last, uh, last, last week and uh, Scott Thompson came on and nice. uh, presented to our group on his document, the formal mentoring in the, fire, in the fire service. service. Yes. And yeah, so it's doing well. We have a conference in the Tri-Cities in Eastern Washington in May that uh, is being becoming really successful. We've got uh, Frank Viscusa coming out to nice. talk, to do Step Up and Lead, a uh, good buddy, and just probably one of the best when it comes to Absolutely talking about do. leadership in the American mm-hmm. Fire Service. Uh, Ray McCormick, if uh, if you know that guy, he's coming to be a line boss. So he's going to talk about leadership as a line boss. And then myself and my buddy uh, Rex um, Strickland, um, who came from Fairfax and is here in Washington State. And uh, so we're going to talk about basically um, truck perspective, basically, you know, um, everything outside of the engine work. So you don't have to have an aerial device, but just what are we going to do when we, when we don't have a hose line? Right. And then uh, we're closing everything out with Aaron Fields talking about uh, functional, um, you know, functional uh, awareness or it's not a functional awareness. It's functional operations or something. So he's, he's going to talk about how to basically teach and his big and, brain stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that conference is coming off in, in May. So yeah, things are great. And I, and I love being a part of the organization. It's awesome, man. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. It's been, it's been great. So I always like to ask every guest book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. Well, there's a, there's a ton of books. Absolutely. So uh, I broke it. I'm, I'm breaking this down into categories. And so first one, I think that the, one of the, one of the things that we struggle with in the American fire service, and this goes back to the controversy of, of roof operations is an understanding of building construction. Right on. 
we 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 battle over um you know the type of construction or roof construction terminology uh, I will, absolutely terminology i mean here here's a good example and i probably should have said this when we were talking about roof operations the term bowstring yes it okay so i mean it it originally came from the idea of what now is being called a a, a tied arch but right. a bowstring was exactly what it says it was a bowstring so there's a difference between a tied arch and a and a rib arch or an, an arch construction but everybody uses the term bowstring. I was like, well, terms mean things. And this goes to, to what Aaron Fields talks about with jargon. Oh, yeah. Is that we really do need to, to narrow that down. And um, so building construction is is where we have arguments, it seems like, a lot. And um, so I had researched um, arch roofs um, through the patent office. And you can see right in about the 1920s when the – when or I should say the 1930s when when basically the – the arches, and I'm talking about a, an actual arch that was a wood wood web, you know, wood truss. When they started calling it a bowstring and calling everything bowstrings, it just it just was the change of the terminology, and right. the fire service carried it. So, so the two books that I would say um, uh, I really do like the the Art of Reading Buildings by Mittendorf yeah. and, and Dodson. It's not a perfect book, but it's a great book. Um, Brannigan's book is is great, and it is it is basically considered the Bible of the American Fire Service. Um, but we're still learning a lot about um, as as construction is changing, and we're in more modern construction. I don't think the books that are currently in the American Fire Service are really addressing the true um, danger, or the I wouldn't say the true danger, the true construction features of engineered construction right on and um one of our roof pervs uh, uh james johnson he's JJ, from canada yeah, absolutely yeah he's he's awesome dude i love but it he's a he's a he's a master uh a master builder in canada and um he sits on the panels and so there's a lot of things a lot of misinformation that the american fire service is pushing out about engineered construction that you know we really do need more of that information in in the textbooks that are out there but the other textbooks I would say for building construction that has just been phenomenal. Firefighters don't like to read a lot, and they like pictures. And so it's um, it's building construction illustrated by Francis Ching, and it's like a thirty or forty dollar book on Amazon, and they're basically architectural drawings of the different types of construction, yes. and they they explain it. So it's and it makes it's like, it makes makes it make so much sense because it shows everything and why it works. It's it's beautiful, man. These little. It, Exactly. Like, and, yes. It, and when you're like panelized roof and you're trying to explain to somebody, well, that you have a beam and you have a purl in and you've got, you know, like, no, let me just show you a drawing of right. it. And, 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 like, it, and oh. it was James Johnson that turned me on to it. I, I had no idea of this book before James Johnson and he turned me on to it, ordered it and I have it. Yes. But yeah, get it. Yeah. I would, I would say every firefighter should have that book because it's, it's, it helps them understand the components of, of building construction and, and they should be good students of building construction. Um, the, the next two books I would say is, is tactics. And so, um, of course, John, uh, John Norman's book, fire officer handbook is, Absolutely. is probably one of the best ones out there. And he does a really good job, um, from the perspective of, of an, of an urban firefighter or v- urban fire officer, he does a really good job of, of kind of trying to speak to everything and, in and, and suburban firefighters have to draw from the experience of the urban fire department. And I think um, I think Norman does a, a great job at doing that. Absolutely. And, 
yeah, he, he, so I think that's a great tactics book. Um, there's, there's a lot of people out there that, that want to write books on tactics, but the problem is, is that a lot of tactics are local and, you know, we'll go just back to the West coast versus East coast when it comes to roof operations. Good example. And so it makes, it makes it really difficult to, to figure out a, an actual textbook that can kind of cover all of those things. So the other book, and I, I, I don't have all my books here, but I hopefully the other book, I think every firefighter should have, and hopefully it comes into focus to me, you just reach into a roof and pulled that out. So you don't here, I'm going to get rid of, I'm going to get rid of my background. So I'm in my bedroom. It's fair. And, and, um, oops, wrong one. So I don't really have a really cool background like Mike Galliano does. He's got some rocking guitars, dude. I'm not yeah. going to lie. So this right here. Um, Beautiful. America Burning. This is a book. This was the original, one of the original books. But here's my problem with the American Fire Service is that we're talking about search and we're talking about them. We're talking about trying to reduce the number down to 2,000 you know, uh, victims mm-hmm. or 2,000 fatalities a year. And majority of the, the the majority of the firefighters in the American Fire Service have no idea what America Burning is, and it's the foundational oh, wow. piece yeah. no, that so. builds off everything. So, when you're on a firefighter rescue survey and you're 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 reading Brush's stuff, phenomenal chief officer, that's writing good stuff. <clears throat> you should get an idea of what what it where it all started. And uh, so, this the nice thing about America Burning is you don't have to buy the book. You, you can buy it, but you can download it for free. Just do a Google search for America Burning, and there's a PDF for it. So download Beautiful. it and read it. So um, the other one is some leadership books. Step Up and Lead by Viscuso is just nice. uh, it's a great book. It's a good foundational book for all company officers. Um, Call Sign Chaos by, by James Mattis. Um, what's great about that book is it comes from somebody that was in the military. I think military books are great. I mean, we've Others have talked about the mission, the men and me right. uh, yes. by blabber, which is another great book. But, um, uh, James Mattis's book, uh, call sign chaos is, is awesome. And then the last, last one for leadership that I'm currently in is, um, general McChrystal's book risk. And what I've, nice. you know, what I've, what I've done now is I used to, I used to just try to read the books. I was never a really good reader. And I've blended in audiobooks. And now what I'm doing is I do audio and reading, and I will listen to the audiobook, and then I will read up to the point that I've listened to the audio well, like book. Audiobook. I like it. Yeah. It really helps me with retention and understanding. And um, this is the second time through that I'm reading um, Crystal's book, Risk, and uh, it's been great. Um, the last book that um, – well. Culture dude, is the next one. I just posted this one today, dude. Great. great oh, did book. you? Yes. So I was I was in um, the Culture Co- Code by Daniel Coyle. I was in um, uh, Leadership Under Fire um, uh, classes, and so it became a recommendation for culture. And basically, it just describes what cultures are, how to build them, how to build high performance team and cultures, and so. It was a, it was a great book and and I just got done reading it not too long ago, um, trying to add it into my book my list of books. Beautiful. Uh, Tribe by Sebastian Younger is a great book on you know how how to belong and the importance of belonging and and uh, and how we can help get through um, very difficult times together and the importance of it. Uh, the Functional Fire Company by Dude, yes, by Scott Thompson. I mean, it's probably. 
Um, I've read it once. I got to read it again, but it's, it's going to probably be one of my favorites for moving forward with, um, especially with culture stuff. Mm -hmm. It is just a A chapter. I think it's chapter two. That's on culture. I'm pretty sure. Forgive me if I get the chapter wrong, but chapter two, I think every firefighter should have to read it just to be in the fire service. It's early on in the book that he talks about culture and he basically just says that everything is based around culture and, and, uh, so if you can if you can understand the culture and you can you can gain some control of the culture in a positive way, then you're gonna you're gonna resolve a lot of your issues and, and be able to steer the organization in the right direction. And then the last one that I'm doing right now, I'm doing an audio book, but I haven't got the the actual book so I can catch up to it, is uh You Win in the Locker Room First by Mike Smith and John Gordon. And basically it's about uh, Mike Smith was um, um, he was the head football coach for the Falcons and turned around the the Falcons organization. So I think there, there's a lot of parallels with the American fire service and sports. We talked about it earlier. Absolutely. And um, so when we look at like how, how the sports um, you know, how, how you deal with, with, with egos and how you deal with different types of people and diversity within the American fire service they're doing it all right right now in the professional sports and some of the best leaders sit in organizations that you know run football teams and basketball teams and baseball teams and so on and so forth so there's a lot of lessons to be so those are my books dude beautiful (laughs) beautiful list of books man and not a single one i would disagree with and some of the ones i want to pick up my uh my little brother when i say my little brother we have 15 years between us i was number two he was number six in the family. Mm. So, but he's on the job. And so every day he goes to half, not every day, but about once a month, he goes to half price books and he looks around and he, he always looks at the firefighter section, which is like eight books long. So every time he goes there, he can see that there's nothing new, no big deal. And he moves on. And literally this year, uh, like three or four days ago, he went to half price books and he got a copy of 20,000 alarms for, <gasps> for four ninety nine. Get out! No, I'm not even. I, this is not even a joke. I actually texted like Romagus and and uh, Kurt and said, "Check it out! My little brother just picked up like twenty thousand alarms for five bucks at half price books." So when you're in those bookstores, man, check, check and look well, around. Someone, someone really missed, mis, mis, yeah, mislabeled something. Most probably a lot of the listeners don't even. I mean, they might know the book, but they don't know the value of that book. That right. book's probably five six hundred dollars. Yes, um, it is not. It is not a cheap book. I just got. Um, I got two, I got one book coming, but I just got, uh, an old copy of glitter and ash yes. by, by, uh, Dennis Smith. And I've got uh ghetto firefighter coming. Dude, that's awesome. And so yeah, I've got so if you love it, I, I just love that story. Cause he, he literally, I was actually teaching a class and my phone rang. It was my brother. I was like, Hey, I'll call you. I sent back, please text me. And he called me again and he never does that. So I actually stepped out of the class to call him back. He's like, I was like, Hey, is everything okay? Is dad? Okay. Mom. Okay. All that stuff. You know, he's like, no, no, I just want to tell you about a find I've had. And I was like, okay, well I'll call you later. And so anyway, that was, that was how big it was. But anyway, sorry, completely minor story. All right. Um, I love, I love that. Uh, next five questions for firefighters. We tried to get you here for the first five questions, but you were building a house and moving to Vegas and and being busy. So you get the next. I know I get the next one, but I want to address the. I want to address one of the questions. Go ahead. I want to hear it from the old. I want to hear it before I kick it off. Okay, so I just I just want to say that when we're looking at what what is my favorite position in the fire service, and I think that was such a great question. I would have kept that one. I would have kept it and 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 maybe said the six questions. I don't know, but um, 
I, I right now, I mean, I, obviously the company officer position, it is probably the most influential, influential role of the fire service. I think they have a, an extremely amount, a good amount, a high amount of impact on, on the, the, the direction of the organization, the people they're developing people left and right, all that. And, uh, I loved my days working on the ladder truck. Um, I loved my days in the training division and in, in teaching as a company officer, and, and it was simple, simple times, simpler times, I should say, but being a BC and, um, the first year was, yeah, second year was better, but I got to tell you, I absolutely love being a battalion chief. And, and I think it is definitely the role for me. I've, I've looked at other opportunities to go up and, and, um, haven't got the opportunity to go up and, and you know, the more I start really doing some, some deep dive into me and who I am and the things that I believe in the things that I like to do. Um, I like developing people. I like, I like watching my firefighters and my company officers grow and progress like a, you know, like a dad does Absolutely. like watching a kid grow. Absolutely. And so where I'm sitting now as a battalion chief is that a lot of the guys that work for me that were probies are now becoming company officers. And I absolutely love it. And that's awesome. Uh, I mean, do I want to go into a fire? Well, here's the benefit is because we use blue card and we send two battalion chiefs, the second two battalion essentially is a tactical boss and can be on the fire floor if we want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I still have the opportunity. I'm not going to be cutting roofs and, and maybe one day we'll have a big fire. I'll be second or third new battalion on. And they'll say, Hey, we need somebody to go to the roof. You look like the guy that probably has the most experience. To be Still able to has do some that. skills left in the body. <laughs> I think if, if I get to be a roof division, I probably will just pop smoke then and just retire at in the morning. And uh, I like it, you know, so, but I, love I just, answer, I, have, man. I love being a battalion chief and I, I get why everybody loves the captain or I should say company officer role, but, uh, I'm, I'm really digging being a BC. So that is awesome. that's all I, I, I love. I love the answer and I love the passion behind it. And, and it's hard to argue the impact the company officer has. And we need, we need more people that relish the impact they can have at BC to take the BC position, man. And that's, I think every position, but a hundred percent. All right. So all right, that, let's go for the new five. That being said, the new five is the new five. I labored over these for a long time. Believe me, it was not easy. So, long story short, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top tier go-to badass firefighter? I'm not going to pretend like I didn't know this question was coming because <laughs> these are tough questions. And so you, I, I appreciate the fact that you go, hey, you're going to get these five questions and I want to, I want to set you up. Um, I had to think hard on this and, uh, I'm glad and I listened. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I've, I spent the entire day preparing for today's uh, talk. No pressure. So, yeah. Um, and, and there's, there's a, there's a lot of, if we're talking about a single characteristic and, and it's very difficult to put it on a single characteristic. So the one that I, as I was starting to kind of like boil this down, that I found was, was grit. And, and the reason why I pick grit is it is when you look up the definition of grit, courage and resolve and a strength of character. And, and it talks about resiliency and it talks about the um, it talks about passion and perseverance. And so when, when, when I'm thinking about the individual that I want that separates them from being just an employee and, and an actual 
you know, dedicated to the company is I want somebody that's committed. I want somebody who's a student. I want somebody who's passionate. I want somebody that, Mm. you know, all of these things. And so if I'm looking for one word, grit seems to fit that because perseverance tells me that they're going to be a student, tells me that they're going to be committed because, you know, they're going to get through this, right? They're, they're not giving up. They're not like, well, I don't have the information. Screw it. I'm moving on. So they're going to be a good student and, and, and they're not going to give up, um, passion. We want somebody passionate for the job that we're doing. Um, that separates the, the guy or gal that just is like there for, for the, you know, for the paycheck and, and maybe the good benefits depending on where you're working. And it's like, man, I'll get out of the recliner when the call comes in. So for me, it's grit. I, you know, I think it just, it, it checks all the boxes I'm looking for, for, for a good firefighter. So, so grit and passion, or is it grit or passion, or I'm trying to clarify. It's grit because under grit, when you look at it, it talks about um, people that have grit have passion. Okay. So it, it's pulled in there. Okay. No, okay. it's, it's pulled in there, but yeah, I, I mean, if you wanted me to use passion all day long, no, 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 I mean, no, no. I was just being <laughs> clear on if it was one, I was making sure passion was included in the grit. Cause with, with the grit, you get max points. No one said grit first of all. And the Ooh. second of all, the fact that you said passion and consistency and resiliency are all encompassed under it, man. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, and, and and somebody that's resilient, that means that they're going to they're not gonna stop, right? Yes, and they're going yes. to and won't give and up it's not the just, first. Exactly. It's yes. not just a mental thing or it's like they're resilient. They're gonna make a mistake and they're gonna bounce back. Right. And um and that I mean that, that builds to it. I know like I I listened to Galliano's um I, I wasn't able to be on it live, but I listened to Galliano's thing and he talked about heart. And I'm like, absolutely. Heart is the key. Heart is the key, but I can't say heart you know, and, and match with Galliano. So I'm going with grit. No, I love it. I lo- and that's, the, <laughs> that's what I love. The, excuse me. There is no wrong answer. You know, I suppose there probably is. And someone may someday give one, but the people, the, the quality of the guests I have on, you just mentioned Galliano and yourself, the quality of guests I have on, they don't give wrong answers. Does that make sense? <laughs> if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Uh, well, my year, my rookie year was a long time ago. So the first thing I would say is buy Microsoft stock and Apple stock. There's going to, the Walkman is going to be no, uh, that might be the, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> the Walkman is not going to, is going to be obsolete and they're going to replace it with this thing called the iPod. And then they're going to make a phone that looks like the iPod. So you're going to make millions of dollars. So I actually love that answer, but go ahead. Um, yeah, I, <clears throat> in all honesty, um, the things that I have done poorly in my in my lifetime all stem around like recovery and sleep and um, rest and all those things. And and in 2016, my my dad uh, suddenly passed away, and he was 69 years of age. And my dad was a workaholic, and um, he would he would work. You know, he, he also umpired uh, little league baseball. And so he loved umpiring. So for him to do little league baseball during the spring through the summer, he literally went into work at like four o'clock in the morning, would work until two o'clock. And then he would umpire until 11 o'clock at night. And he, wow. I mean, he was, he would do that all, all spring and summer long. And he was a workaholic and and I have a lot of tendencies of my father. And, and when I look back to my early days um, of being a company officer, 
I had no problem staying up to two o'clock in the morning and, and trying to log like three, four hours of sleep. And, right. you know, I've got my day off to rest and recover or, or my day off to sleep. And more I've got into peer support and all these other different things. And, you know, Dina is a great friend and we've talked a lot about these things is that yes. the amount of the importance that sleep has in for us is important. So if I want to plug another book, it's why we, you know, why we sleep by Matthew Walker. Um, sleep has a significant impact in the, in our well-being, be, our well-being and health. And I think my, I think my dad, you know, left this earth a little bit sooner than he needed to because of his poor sleep habits. I didn't do really well, you know, on my recovery and my rest. I didn't take any of that serious. Um, the other problem that I had early on, I mean, um, partly why I'm here and I'm part of groups like this is that I've been very active. And so I probably should have spent a little bit more time, um, dedicating time to family. You know, my, I am very, 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 very lucky to have my wife, Jody, and she's, she's my number one fan, but she's probably sacrificed more than, you know, all of my injuries and everything that I've done in the fire service. I think she's been injured more by shit that I've done and not having a, a good perspective on, on family and, and that's probably why when you're looking at like how important family is to me now and, and when I'm looking at my, right you know, when we go back to retirement and why, you know, what, where's my mindset going to be? I know it's going to be challenged, but um, having a couple granddaughters and kid and living near where my kid is and, and being able to spend time with the wife is like, um, I think that is my, my absolute retirement plan is it's going to be all about family. So I wish I would have spent more time with family Dude, doing strong. family stuff and, and not have had a negative impact in that way. And so, yeah, that's what I would like to to tell myself as a rookie. Ni- 1988. Long answer. I loved it. I love the Microsoft. <laughs> I love, I love the first starting off by making myself rich. I love, I really do. Cause that's honest, <laughs> but also man, family, dude, there's nothing more important. You made a post today on my wife's post that I posted. If that makes sense, that post, 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 but uh, you understand how important Amanda is to me because you have Jody and that, that, I mean it, man. It it matters. Are you going to be at COBC? Yes, absolutely. Are you going? Is Amanda going to be yes. there? Awesome. Just awesome, booked our man. flights and and making sure everything was lined up and days were off and all that stuff. So yes, absolutely. I know this is this is not. I mean, this will tie to it, but um, um, Mike and Ann Galliano asked us to write in their book and their their firefighter marriage book. And um, this is and, and I'm just going to sidetrack just a little bit, but go. This, this is the way life is in, in the Fisher household. My wife and I, um, we were driving. We were arguing as we're driving. We have to get this We have to get this, this piece done for Mike and Ann. And we literally were arguing. Not about that. We're arguing about some other bullshit thing. Whatever life is, yeah. Whatever life is. And we're very frustrated with each other. And, and I love cooking. So when we get home, I'm going to be the one that's cooking. And she just goes into the office and she just starts writing. And she writes the piece that's in their book. That is awesome and, to know the backstory. <laughs> and and I got to tell you, man, she hands this to me. And I'm, of course, I'm still heated and frustrated. And I'm like, what is this? She's like, we've got to get this thing done. And so, and I'm reading this and it just kills me. This, how she tells the story, how she talks about, and she's talking about supporting me. And she's talking about just us in general, after we just got done right. with a pretty decent heated debate, or I shouldn't say debate. It was an argument, argument fight. And, you know, and I was mild fight. I was heavy argument. I was stupid. And, 
And uh, yeah, and so uh, I absolutely love her. I'm very fortunate to have her, and and I love bringing her to, you know, all the conferences I can go to. I love the fact that that, that Kurt um, has this conference, and it and he and it's in you know he encourages the spouses to come, and so I think it's awesome. So um, yeah, so we'll see you guys in May. Absolutely, that, man. Looking conference. forward to it. Looking forward to it because I, I don't think I've met Jody. I really don't. I, I'll, but we'll see. Um, oh, you, you know what? We, we she wasn't at Water on the Fire, so yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, well, that's number two, and I will give you max points because family. I don't think there's anything better than keeping. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Keeping priorities. Uh, keeping first things first, man. It's huge because this job will take it from you. Absolutely, in a heartbeat, it will. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I only done this a few times in a scrap, but I have to. I have to dump some Modelo. So okay. we're going to pause in the middle of the five questions for firefighters, and I'm going to say, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach out to you, talk to you, et cetera? Anything you want to plug, I'm going to give you – this is how much I trust you. I'm going to give you uncontrolled control of the scrap <laughs> while I hit the head. So I'll be right back. All right. Well, I appreciate it. All you. Thank you. Uh, well, I guess the things that I'm going to plug is I got a couple of um, uh, buddies that I work with that listen to this show and they always say, hey, your name came up again. So Christian DeMonda, Joe Basta, two battalion chiefs in my department, they always uh, talk about this show. And so I appreciate it. I'm sure they're going to be listening to some point. And um, I owe a lot to my former driver, Chad Berg. Um, I think we worked 17 years together and uh, we have a great relationship and I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for having a good driver and everybody at work likes to make fun of us and say that we're married and well, we're kind of married because we work so long together. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, it's Rob Fisher 72 at just about anything. So Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, and my email is Rob Fisher 72 at gmail.com. And what else can I speak to? Um, I don't know. <laughs> It's dead air, not having not having much to talk about. Um, hopefully, you guys are enjoying this little conversation. Uh, Corley did drink, I think, three Modellos, so we're trying to offload about 32 ounces of fluid. Oh, looks like here he comes. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Many apologies, Rob. Did you hold it down? I did hold it down. Okay. I did hold okay. it down, so. Now, here's the deal. I always feel like I'm... Like last last week, Mike crushed the five the next five questions. He crushed them, like absolutely crushed them. I think he maxed everything out, and I feel like am I just a big softy? So the audience has to definitely chime in and say, I, absolutely. The first two, I have. It's always arbitrary. It's always my opinion. I don't think there's anything that needs to be justified. But put your thumbs up in there. Put your max points in there. Put your not max points in there. It's like like help me give me some direction because I don't want to be a big giant softy that always passes it out. You got to earn it is what I'm trying to say so far. You have, sir. I hope that makes sense. Well, let me just say this. When I was in high school, I was a CD student. When I was in college, I was a B student. So if I'm, if I'm getting an A minus, I'm doing great. So it doesn't have to be 100%. Hey, I love grit and I love keep, keep first things first. So hundred percent. I don't care what anybody says. That's max points. Number three, what is your favorite training drill? Well, <clears throat> I would say that my favorite training drill is just fundamentals, just in, in general. And it's, and it's, um, if I w- when I was on the company, I, I worked majority of my career on a ladder truck, you know, fundamentals were ground ladder work and forcible entry. And in, in our organization, a lot of vertical ventilation, ventilation stuff. So 
Um, I think, you know, when you look at things and what we do, and, and if you were to even look at, at sports and, and you and coaches that are talking about sports, is like it all comes down to fundamentals. And if you don't have a good grasp of the fundamentals, you can't do all the fancy shit. And I'm in a battalion chief role now, and so I can do these big elaborate um, drills, and I'm not a big fan of the big elaborate drill. I think that the small little operation, the little mm. fundamental operation – is better. So for me, when I was, when I was on the company as a company officer, it was ground ladders. And the reason why I love ground ladders is because not everybody liked to do them. It sets you apart from everybody else. And if you were good with ground ladders, you look like, you know, on, on the fire ground, you just, it was just like a choreographed event and it looked like you were just superstars. So, so from the company officer side of things, it was, it was basically ground ladders from the battalion side of things. I still hang on to fundamentals. And what I love is, um, and I mentioned earlier, a lot of the guys that were probies when I was a company officer are now becoming company officers themselves. And one of the best things that I think battalion chiefs uh, could do is go out and drill with their crews. And that doesn't mean that you have to go and throw ladders and force doors. I do like to force doors because I, I teach that. And I do like to throw ground ladders because I still can do it. But for the most part, I'm there to be part of and watch and I just kind of like really dig watching my younger guys that were our, were my <clears throat> students or my younger firefighters. I love, it makes me feel so proud and I love watching them organize and, and choreograph the training and, you know, coordinate the training. It makes me feel really good. And then what I get out of it is um, for a BC, it helps me with fire ground tempo. I, I know, I know what, what's going on. Uh, I know like if I'm going to assign my ladder company to go to the roof, I, I roughly know what it's going to take for them to do that. If you're a battalion chief and you're sitting in the office and you don't go out and watch these <clears throat> fundamental drills, you're missing the boat. Oh, unless, you're work, unless you're working a busy department that you guys are going on buildings and fighting fire on a regular basis. Uh, you know, I, I think priority one for a battalion chief other than, you know, resource management should be, should be going out and, and, monitoring the drills of their crews and i'm not there to tell them how to do things i'm there to watch be a proud papa basically but yes. uh, to watch and understand but you know, also, what's my fire ground tempo also understand what they're going through man and that's beautiful and i love this thank you guys that's what i'm talking about here because i want to give him max points you know what i'm saying and then kyle condiff comes in and just kind of says fundamentals and basics are the key to overall success stick to the basics max points he says it right valerie marshall max points all caps uh, love chiefs that come out and train the basics. There you go. Uh, Fisher is the best practices what he preaches. Yes, but no, that's what I'm wanting. I want to know that I'm not just being a softy and like, Oh, I like Rob. So I'm gonna give him max points. No, dude, you earned it. Great. Three for three. Uh, no pressure moving forward. Number four, <laughs> what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? Oh man, it, <clears throat> it has to do with relationships. And so, I've, I have been passed up on a promotion back in 2016 and I shouldn't even say passed up. I mean, the way that I'm, I, uh, as we've been as change of leadership is you never passed up. You're just, you weren't selected. And so it's just changing of the of terminology, but uh, I had scored number one on the BC list for multiple years. Uh, tactically, I was sound, um, you know, I was sound in a lot of different areas and uh, what I didn't realize and what I just 
didn't do enough of is, is foster good relationships. Because when we look at it, when you really are looking at it and, and very, very few of us will ever be in a position of a fire chief, but ultimately the fire chief gets to make that decision. And, and it really comes down to trust because, you know, I've heard chiefs say that when they're handing out the bugle for a company officer, whatever it is, is like they're, they're handing one of the bugles off of their bugles and giving it to them. That's, you know, it's part of the responsibility or part of, and, and if you don't have trust, if you haven't built trust between uh, you and, and those above you, you're not going to get anywhere. So um, one of the biggest things that I really screwed up on is I, I had not fostered trust and I, and I probably was a too, too aggressive. Well, I know I was, I was too aggressive. I made comments that I probably shouldn't have made comments on. And, uh, and I just, you know, my ego was probably too big and I'm like, look, nobody knows as much as I do. I'm, you know, I, <laughs> I teach everywhere. Right. I do all these things. And um, so that was the negative side of it. You know, the positive side of it, or I should say the other part of it is it's not just relationships with at home. You got to think about those, but I wouldn't be here talking with you today if it wasn't for relationships that I had fostered on the national level. So my focus was more on, on a bigger scale and, and not so much at home. I mean, I was doing a lot of things at home, but but I was fostering relationships and networking across the, you know, across the nation country. Yeah. And when I should have probably spent more time at home and focusing more of my, my efforts at home. Um, so it, it's good and bad. I mean, I, I wouldn't be probably here talking right now if I didn't foster the relationships on a national level, but um, I will say that I, I probably suffered. I heard this from, from, um, um, Ed Hatfield from one of the guys that first gave me an opportunity to teach long, long time ago. And uh, he said, Rob, you'll never be a prophet in your own town. And that is so true. You know, I, um, I can, I can consult on, on ladder operations, <laughs> no quint operations everywhere I go. And, 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 uh, but you come back here and, and some of it is because of, you know, who you are and, and what you do. And I think probably I did a lot of things that was, negative to my position. And I've got a lot of fans here in my department, in my region and everything, but I just, you have the wrong fans and I didn't have the fans that are, that are sitting in the level that, you know, get to make those final decisions. And so that was a, a, a big mistake on my part that, you know, and I mean this genuinely, I, that I, I should have taken that into consideration and, and somebody should have punched me in the face to say, you've got a lot of relationships outside, but you did not foster relationships at home. And this is going to come back to haunt you. Um, if I were to use somebody like Brian Brush, everybody likes Brian Brush. Absolutely. Brian is, he is, he's phenomenal. Absolutely. And he, he, he is able to take like being a chief officer and he's able to straddle both of those and, and do really well in both realms. And, and, and I didn't do really well at home. And so, you know, I, I paid the price. I think I did. And, and um, my, my approach was probably too strong at home. And uh, that goes back to 10 pounds of pressure 100% of the time. If I'm oh. punching people in the face and I'm not building trust, then, you know, sometimes those guys are going to promote up above you and they're going to be your boss. And it is what it is. So Absolutely. And if you know me, you know, I teach a class called the nine L's of leadership, which basically comes down to trust. So anybody says trust is important. You're going to, you're going to win. And, and, and as far as consistency goes, you tied it right back into advice and, uh, 
100%, man. Family keeping first things first. So, anyway, max points for number four. Let's see how you do on the last question. No pressure again. <laughs> Heavy fire. The, the original number five. Heavy fire, searchable space. Would you, I, I think I know, but I'm going to let you answer. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Well, Corley, I'm going to tell you, I'm, and, and I'm assuming I'm not the battalion chief. If I was a battalion chief, it's going to be, I'm going to be doing VES. Trust me, I, I have no problem getting out of my buggy, running up if I know somebody's there, taking a window and uh, and doing what I need to do. Now, I'm saying that, and I'm violating many laws here in the state of Washington. But, uh, but yeah, I would, I would do that, and I'd be, I'd be really happy with that. Um, but I think the answer really comes down to, and, and as I was thinking this, because I know what you, I know what everybody wants to hear. They want to hear me say VES, and uh, the nozzle nerds want to hear, you know, they want to go, oh man, if it isn't for the nozzle. And, and I'm going to take this as an opportunity to just kind of share some perspective. And that is, um, and I learned this from Jay Bonifield of all people. And, and um, the truck is a supportive operation. They support every function, everybody else on the fire ground. Mm. But, but it was Jay Bonifield that, that um, and this was young Jay. I mean, this was Jay when he was first coming to the department and teaching in our, in our County Fire Academy. He was the first one I, that I heard actually say, the engine supports the search. And I'm like, you're right. You know what? I've never even thought of it that way. And, and in reality is, is yeah, yeah. In, in a lot of organization, the truck does the search and uh, the engine has to support that search. Once we've decided that, that we have nothing found or the clear of the building, then everybody, then the truck supports the engine. Everybody supports engine operation. So so I would just say that our priority is saving life. If I have the opportunity to save the life, I'm going to do it. But I will say that depending on what position you're in, you have to be good at, 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 the, at the position that you're sitting in. So if I'm sitting on an engine and I'm going to a fire, my job is, is, is to put the line between the victim and the fire. My job is to support the search or VES operation. Um, if I'm on the truck, my job would be to to get to that person and rescue that person. So um, it depends on what my assignment is. Now, if you're giving me the choice to, to decide if I want to be on the engine that day or on the truck, I'm going to pick the truck. Come on. And I can tell you the reasons why. And, and, um, and that the truck is different than the engine because uh, what I loved about the truck was how do you fight or how do you do the jobs that we do without having water? Because everybody talks about the nozzle as the eraser. Use your nozzle as an eraser and erase the fire. But when you don't have an eraser and you have a permanent marker and you could screw things up, um, I love that challenge. I love the thinking game that, that, a, that a truckie has to have and, and the things that they do. I love that it's, you know, when you go to a fire, you don't just get a stretch line and try to get it to where the fire is. So I know this is a kind of a long answer Not to it, to, but I love, I love the, the beautiful direction it's taken as you've meandered through answering it, I just, I'm waiting to hear the final answer. It's like, who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. Who wants to be a, I, I would final just answer. say my finance, my final, my final answer is whatever position you in, you better be good at that position oh. and you better live that position. And if you're a truckie sitting in the nozzle seat, cause you're on overtime, or you did a trade or whatever it is, you better be on the nozzle and you better be doing the job because somebody's counting on you. This is all about teamwork. And if you're an engine guy and you love stretching line and today you're working 
overtime on the truck, you better get your ass up that ladder, get that window vented, and you better get in there and get that person. And if you get the photo, it is what it is. It doesn't really matter. I don't give a shit about the photo myself. I just want to do my job, and I want to do it right. So, I was really, really close on on not doing it until you said, I don't give a fuck about the photo. I just want to get in there and do the job right. So, yeah. 100%. You can give me, give me 95%. I don't even know if I've even heard you give anything other than you don't answer or you give them 100%. So give me 95 No, no, I'm, no, I'm no, used- no. I, I, you earned it on the, on the final answer. I really do think – because, I, I, again, man, it's like you're in my brain because I have whole slides dedicated to – I don't care if you have nozzles. I don't care if you have combinations. I don't care if you run a shitty triple or a flat load or, or, the, or the greatest load ever, the minute, man. Um, bottom line, <laughs> bottom we have line bulk beds, so be good at what you have, man. That's it. Be good at what's on your rig. Be good at your assignment. And so if you give that answer, um, I have to do it and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> you got a lot here. People saying, uh, smoothbore cartel said nozzle nerd with the raised hand emoji, uh, facts. He said facts. So you got a fax out of him. There's a big heart from Matt Donnie. Someone said, get the F out. It's okay, Rob. We can't all be winners. Again, from your buddy, Kyle Romagus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. The entering. Well, you, know what, yes. you know what's funny is Romagus. You went five for Romagus. five. I'm going to say it officially. You went five for five because of the strong finish. The I meandering almost lost it, but the strong finish was there. <laughs> it was there. You closed well, it the out. thing that, I mean, just to close it out really quickly, the thing that bugs me is is, is that here, here, here's a, a great example. And I know we don't normally talk EMS on this. Like, look, if you're going to be a paramedic, be the best paramedic you possibly oh, love that. be. Period. Period. And, and I'm not big into EMS. And, and uh, you know, some people believe like, you know, oh, man, Rob hates paramedics. No, I don't hate paramedics. I hate lazy people. I hate people that don't want to take their job serious. Because if if I were to have a heart attack at the command post, which is a greater chance of me having a heart attack at the command post than a firefighter dying doing vertical ventilation. But if I have a heart attack at the command post, do you think I want some dipshit paramedic that doesn't give a shit about it? All he cared about or she cared about was having a good pay and time off. No, no. I want the if, if you want the paragod. Yes, I want the paragon. I want yeah, the four sets, the of, four sets of scissors, like two, like yes, coming in. I want the. They know everything, you know, and they're looking at every little little tip. I want the best of the best taking care of me, and we do so much, so many different things. And and one class that I was in when at Tech Rescue, and and the, and the guy that was teaching the rope rope, rope rescue, uh, Reed Thorne, teaching this rope rescue stuff, and he goes, you know what I hate about you firefighters and, and, and rope rescue? You guys are plate spinners. You're just spinning the plate, and when the plate slows down, you're going to go over and you're going to spin it, and you like, <laughs> do a little rope rescue, do a little EMS, do a little bit of fire, do all this. There's some confined like, space. Yeah, you're <laughs> terrible. You never do do anything good. And here we do. I mean, you get into an organization and you start dividing up EMS and, and truck work and, and engine work. Well, I tell you what, if you're going to be assigned to the ladder truck and you put in to be a ladder truck, then be really good at being on the ladder truck. Do everything ladder truck and be very good at it. If you want to make fun at the guys on the engine, I get it. It's easy. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead. But, but think about this when you make fun of the guys on the engine is that you want them to do their job good, too. Imagine if we all just oh, really dude, enjoyed having dude. each other's company and we were a team. Nirvana. You no. Know? So that's my that's my two cents on the 
I'll take any position. Basically, if you can get me to a fire and I get a stretch a line or I get to do VES, I'm all over it. I'll do it as a BC. I'll do it as a company officer. I'll do it riding backwards. I don't care. But whatever it is going to be, whatever position I'm sitting in, I'm going to do it the best of my ability. So love, 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 love the answer. Do the passion right there on that that sermon right there at the end was worth worth the entire. And I want you to know, I don't know where Mike finished that, but we're at one hour fifty seven minutes. I just want you to know, I'm not. I think sure. Mike's. Two hours and 20 minutes. Okay, okay. We're not going to catch him unless we just really go long. Um, I don't know what you got to say while I was uh, taking my bathroom break, but that is officially 131 scraps in the books. Max points back-to-back. Mike Galliano, Rob Fisher. Um, If someone wants to get a hold of you, do you want to do that again? I don't know what you said already. Yeah, I just said it's Rob Fisher 72 at just about anything. So it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Solid. solid. um, And robfisher72 at gmail.com. Anything you want to plug? Anything coming up? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm very fortunate to where I'm at and in, in the in in the fire service, and you know, I love being a part of Brothers in Battle, and I and I know everybody keeps on saying, are we going to have a you know a firemanship conference again? And uh, there's a lot of things that are changing in 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 BIB, and I'll just say that uh, it's not it's definitely not dead. Trust me, the the Cody and everybody wants to get things going again and, right and hopefully on, that's right on. on. So uh, I love, you know, I get to hang out and help out with County fire tactics and, and I love helping out there. And, and so I'll be at uh, COBC with my wife um, this, this may, I think we're going to be at water on the fire together. I will for sure be at water on the fire and I will be at um, uh, HROC again at the end. Beautiful. That'll be the last HROC. And uh, we have a conference in May before before COBC. Literally, I'm flying from one conference to the other. But um, that is our small conference for the right in the right seat. So if if, if you can't get to us this year, uh, Ryan and I are working on 2023. And because um, I'm going to be living in Vegas, we're trying to think of maybe somewhere in Vegas to have uh, have some good stuff there. So um, if you if you're in the fools, reach out to me. Uh, God, I don't even know what else to say, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at and, and, uh, I appreciate being here and appreciate you having me with, uh, a large, I mean, I, I look at like Mike Galliano Rhodes is following me up. I'm, you squeeze me in between there and, and, and I know Cody would get, he'd give me shit if I started downplaying my position, but, um, those are two big wigs that that I'm sitting in between, and and I'm honored to be with them. And you've had some phenomenal. Um, Dude, I'm blessed. Uh, I'm blessed with the the quality of the guest of mine t- tonight, and and. Yeah, dude, they keep saying yes, and I keep getting blown away by the fact that they say yes. So, uh, yeah, very happy well, about it. I think I, did I you have that coin that I sent you? Yes. I got um, mul- I got multiples in front of me here that you sent. Well, not the not the uh, not the not the Puget Sound Fools one, okay. but that other coin. That that coin is special, and I just want to just this is for you. And is it this? This the international? It's the international know. coin. This, so am I holding up the right one? Because there's another. Nope. There's, there's also nope, there's the, another one. There's also the one. Uh, yep. So that coin right there. Um, that coin right there is, is an executive board coin and each of us executive board members got seven of those. And I think this is the second coin issued, uh, from the e-board and you are the recipient of it. And 
I just want to, I just want to say Corley that, um, and there's, there's a couple more that I'm going to be passing out, but just, we just recently, I shouldn't say we recently, we, we got these coins last year and we've been sitting on them and, and each of us got seven. And I just want to say, I, uh, I try to catch the, the weekly scrap. Um, a lot of the times I can't get it live. I have to listen to it elsewhere, but I try to catch it. And I think you are a change maker in, in the American fire service. And, and those coins go to, uh, people that are doing good for the American fire service and that are, you know, taking care of our firefighters and, and doing all the good stuff. And so, um, that I believe is number two coin from the board and, <laughs> and I appreciate everything that you've done. So well, I, I, I'm a hundred percent honored man to, to, to hear that because, uh, I don't know what to say, but thank you, um, to hear that, uh, beautiful. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all I'm, that's all I'm feeding. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not good at that kind of stuff. Uh, firehousevigilance.com. Go there, support the scrap. Uh, Rob Fisher's here. I want to, I want to hit a few things before I go. One of them is, uh, my man, Kyle Lewis, the Cato cooker coming up. I'm trying to get the dates here. Cato cooker coming up. I wanted to shout out about it. I'm trying to get the dates. Looking, looking, looking. 2022 live fire training Cato Cougar Friday, April 8th and 9th. Uh, so it's coming up here in like two weeks. Um, if you can get, get, get tickets to the event, go there and support it. It's an amazing thing. If you saw my video from the mutts, don't scrap from, uh, CFD fire school, this cat runs around in his underwear, like selling out to, to make VES and, uh, fire training legitimate. So, uh, 100% go support that. Uh, you could type in Cato cooker on, on Facebook and find it and get tickets to it and go support it. So that's the one I wanted to shout out to. Um, also coming up, uh, let me see here. First in Arkansas, 100% man, this, the lineup here is amazing. I am speaking there. I'm teaching my classes. You got chief Scott Thompson, Kyle, uh, Romagus, Ryan Walt, Mo Davis, Clyde Gordon, man, if you don't get fired up about that, I don't know what you cannot get fired up about. So it's going to be in uh, little rock right outside of little rock and just get your tickets for that. And then the final thing I wanted to shout out tonight was in Seguin, Texas, May 20th through the 22nd is the legacy fire conference. Again, I'm trying to throw a lot of stuff at you. I'm emceeing this event. I've actually like, I actually wrote notes here. It's really, really cool because Rob Fisher inspired me. <laughs> and well, those those FD tactic guys are dude, they're top notch, dude. Without a doubt. Um, on my keynote speech, like I got some ideas for it that I got from Rob Fisher today. That's going to play into that, and it's going to be amazing. So, um, bottom line is, uh, first in legacy, the Cato Cooker. I wanted to shout out to all those. The coins, man. I always try to show off the coins, and I showed them off earlier. Let me pull up so I can see when I when it snaps into focus here. Man, it's just so cool. Rob, you sent these to me, and you got me emotional because you sent me something that was, like, very special. Man, thank you. That's really, really cool. So, anyway, um, 
Well, hey, man, I just want to tell you, I love you, brother. I appreciate everything you're doing. And so just keep it going. And uh, I look forward to maybe having another talk another day, another time. We will. And, uh, we will. I will see sure. you in May. Oh, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Chief David Rhodes coming up a week from today. And then the mega scrap, Jim McCormick, Basil Ibrahim, Robert Ramirez, mega scrap on nothing but writ and Mayday. Uh, that's going to close out uh, lead, lead off April. So anyway, long story short, thank you all. Mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent. Thank you, Rob Fisher, for being an amazing guest. And I hope the tone stays silent. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.